This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. will never let the truth come that more to the world. And I want you to to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? I don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Now, these people are in very high positions, yeah? Yes. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, episode 39. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khalid. And today, we're back with round three of the yes, Grotto Q&A. Third Q&A. Yes. Yes. I look forward to these, and I have to say, like, you know, the Grotto has, uh, has dropped really the, the most substantive load of uh, queries on us. So far, I think we're looking at like really somewhere from fifteen to like eighteen, if you count sub questions. But <laughs> yeah, you if know. you count sub questions, there's quite a there's quite a few. Uh, we're gonna try to be disciplined in answering them. Uh, but yeah, uh, of course, you know this is our opportunity to shout out the grotto. Uh, mm-hmm. you know one of the most uh rewarding aspects of doing this podcast is is the grotto. Definitely, uh, it's a you know definitely a cool hub uh so yeah, yeah. shout out many thanks uh, yeah. many thanks to the grotto for yeah. keeping mm-hmm. the discourse uh spicy and warm like a fine yeah. eggnog um <laughs> this holiday uh, season of the dark winter yeah uh yeah during the dark winter exactly there are uh, electric blanket in the in the dark of the winter um mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah always bringing uh, interesting things to the table uh you know we've got a couple of different uh channels running now different uh frequencies uh going in the grotto that are always uh uh crackling with with uh content so yeah mm-hmm. it's, uh, we've got it's our good. media yeah. suggestions we got our music suggestions the uh the the, the music track lists for uh, at least some of the episodes are up now. We have a special workflowy for it, which you can access through the Grotto. And um, I'm going to be filling that out in the coming days. And, yeah. you know, you can you can vibe to all the deep cuts and... Uh, yeah, we've bodies, got show notes. You know. uh, I need to update them, uh, but uh, I will <laughs> do so uh, soon. I think that uh, they need to be uploaded since, like, uh, th- uh, a while ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just need to set aside a day to uh, to do it, uh, but uh, I will. Um, mm-hmm. But there's uh, plenty mm-hmm. of content there now, uh, anyway, for people to catch up with. Uh 
But yes. anyway, yeah. So anyways, so you know, yeah. here we are. We're in, let's. This uh, is... Yeah, we were trying to be disappointed about the questions, but now we've talked for like you know what a bunch of a long time just before even getting into them. So maybe we should. It's really uh, only just that. three que- three minutes. So I think we're, yeah. we're doing all, all right. right. All so right. I think we'll yeah. try to okay. whisk through. Yeah. These are the these mm-hmm. are the final questions of 2020, uh, the year from hell. Um, yeah, these are the yeah and, true. Yeah, it's January 3rd when we're recording this, but, uh, you know, know, these are relics uh, from the dark past of 2020, I guess, but, I mean, you know, I think 2021, who knows, it might end up being worse, Uh, arbitrary, uh, you know, uh, periodizations, uh, arbitrary uh, temporal (laughs) distinctions, uh, not really something to uh, put too much investment in, but, sure, uh, sure. yeah, Um, um, and it's not even the Chinese New Year yet, I believe. So mm-hmm. it doesn't count. Yeah, nor really the Islamic count. New Year. You know, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different <laughs> calendars out there. So yeah. Fair enough. Um, anyway, you know, so okay, uh, so let's let's uh let's just dive in, see what happens, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll you know we'll try to be swift. Um, but I think we'll get to everything. So yeah. uh, all right, I'll start with question number one from Watch Mojo Four Twenty. Will there be an occult Los Angeles episode? Hotel Cecil, Devil's Gate Dam, the attacks on the homeless, etc. Also, Boy Scouts episode. Also, have either the SJ hosts experienced anything paranormal, divine, infernal? I get the sense that Khalid might be Muslim, but I haven't heard you guys go into that issue specifically yet. Um, I like that this guy, I don't know, I mean, I might ha- be having some uh, trouble uh, perceiving uh, irony or sarcasm here, but I uh, I like the idea that this guy got the impression or got the sense that I might be Muslim, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe he was joking around, but um, uh, yeah, I, I do like the idea because, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I always feel like I uh, am like uh, just like accosting everyone with my like Muslimness, and it's just like you know, uh, <laughs> just uh, over like all right, sure. we get it, you're Muslim, but yeah, um, no, I guess yeah, but uh, I guess you know, it, no, it's just a vague sense, just a vague sense, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah. Uh, will I am there Muslim be to answer that question? Yes, um, okay, if you're, that's a question. You're a Muslim. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm Muslim. Yes. Uh, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess in the sense of. Like, have you, I guess this is kind of, um, you know, the, the inference that you might be Muslim is related to the question of whether or not we've ever experienced anything paranormal. I mean, I think we've talked in a few of the episodes about our various brushes with paranormal activity. Yeah, you mentioned you you had like a Ouija board experience. Yeah, I talked about my UFO, uh, sighting that I had, uh, that's about like the most significant paranormal thing that I ever actually, I mean, in terms of, like, have I experienced anything divine? Like, you know, I pray, like, five times a day. Uh, so that's, like, uh, sort of communication with the divine, you know? Uh, and I think the experience of God is a little bit different from, like, a UFO sighting uh, because, like, God is something that sort of suffuses, like, one's experience of the world. So mm-hmm. uh, those are, like, two different qualities of experience. And uh, I think that's definitely also very different from like your typical like sort of maybe the infernal experience that uh is implied here because i haven't like you know witnessed any kind of like demonic or like gin possession thing or seen any kind of demon or anything like that or any kind of monster or, or you know i've only mm-hmm. i've seen that one ufo that was i just couldn't identify what it was so it was the ufo in strictest sense you know uh you can go back to our ufo episode if you want to hear uh more detailed 
uh, account of of that. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I, I yeah I I think besides I'm trying I'm racking my brain right now trying to think if I've I've experienced anything directly that I would put into those categories I think the Ouija board is really the only one I can clearly say unless I have repressed memories or something I I think that is the only thing that I have ever directly experienced uh, a lot of it bugging is out when I visited you in LA that like time right after the nine thing had happened okay. where there was yeah, a weird synchronicity around the nines. You bugged out a lot about that. You know, you definitely would yeah. at the time have described that as being some kind of like, you know, uh, bizarre, uh, thing, uh, or significant, perhaps, uh, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I, there's, there's been spooky things that have happened, but nothing yeah. that I would say, uh, you know, even things that are like metaphorically sinister or borderline demonic, but not anything for going by, you know, the strict rules of the Catholic church in regards to exorcisms, uh, I don't know if it would pass the test definitively yeah. of like, oh, this can't be explained by more yeah. conventional, you know, scientific explanation. So uh, mm-hmm. I, the that's basically my answer on that. Um, will we do a Boy Scouts episode? Yes, I, I think it's the short answer for that. Yeah, well, we've been that. at the forefront of uncovering the connection uh, between the Boy Scouts and all the spooky phenomena. You know, there's always a Boy Scout connection. I mean, it might just be that a lot yeah. of, like, men, particularly men who are gra- gravitate to, like, positions of authority, like, uh, or regimented hierarchies, like, uh, or, you know, are in the Boy Scouts. But, uh, well, I think there's definitely material there for a Boy Scouts episode. In oh, terms definitely. of an occult Los Angeles episode, I feel like it's like a borderline occult Los Angeles podcast, but uh, <laughs> the like the, yeah, the topics yeah. that like um, the topics that are mentioned, like the Hotel Cecil, Devil's Gate Dam, uh, the attacks on the homeless. I think yeah, that, those are all potential episode fodder. Uh, the only one I For really sure. know of, like you know, uh, I guess the first two are things I've heard of: the attacks on the homeless. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly. I am uh, somewhat aware of that. I don't know. I I feel like that was happening sometime maybe in the last two years uh, on and off around the city. And it, I would not rule it out. (laughs) I'll put it that way. Um, The idea that basically there were these kind of, you know, strings of random murders uh, of, you know, stabbings or beating homeless people to death on like Venice Beach or in Santa Monica or in downtown. And I feel like um, maybe it's a testament to the the vastness of the homelessness issue in Los Angeles that that's 100 percent believable that if there was like, say, I don't know, an axe murder cult that wanted to go around or some kind of 098 people that wanted to opt for homeless people it would be relatively easy to get away with. And the media is not particularly, you know, serial killers have been uh, sort of retired as a, uh, as a mass psychological um, terror spectacle tool, I guess they've been superseded by, you know, proper terrorists and like uh, unhinged psychos that blow up their RVs outside of AT&T data <laughs> centers. Um, uh, because yeah. like the, the, because the Draco are using 5g to et cetera and uh, or eco terrorists or school shooter nuts, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I feel like it's easy to like sweep it under the rug. Like the LAPD doesn't really have much of an incentive to, 
contextualize things in that way. So I feel like it would be easy to get away with. And just considering the general spookiness of LA in general, um, wouldn't surprise me. And yeah, I think the Hotel Cecil, uh, we probably do. There are a couple stories that I think you could deep dive into. I mean, it has an extremely haunted history. Um, the story that I remember that we might circle into one day, because I think it it didn't happen to me, but I was living not far from the Cecil Hotel at the time that Eliza Lamb died. Oh, right, yes. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, that's to me we might also, have to, like the big story around that. I have no yeah. idea of what happened with that at all. Like I do not have, like I've looked into that a fair amount, but I cannot tell you what was going on. Very, very spooky story. Yeah. I looked um, into it a lot because I would have to walk by the Cecil all the time. It was like right mm-hmm. there. And I don't, I don't think I ever went in or, you know, uh, you know, uh, much less, you know, booked a room in there, but it just had such a sinister reputation and it, it changed its name after the Eliza lamb thing. It finally got like too much negative publicity so uh, it, wow. it, it it changed its name to like this kind of a this bougie kind of airbnb thing that was like stay la and then you started stay, to see stay on main uh, yeah it was stay on main that's what it is yeah stay on main wow. yeah exactly it's on main street and yeah. uh, i started to notice once they rebranded they started getting all of these uh and i think maybe they'd been doing this even before lisa lamb of kind of like hiding the sketchy history which you know in the internet age you could basically google and be like oh richard ramirez stayed there <laughs> like there's been all yeah. these horrible murders and stuff and so like uh because elisa lamb is canadian and so you get a lot of like canadian or like european or asian tourists that just see this like affordable hotel in the heart of downtown and they're like oh stay on maine that sounds great yeah. and they're kind of, but in the inside it's like still the cecil and they're still you know it's uh it's kind of almost like a borderline um sro or uh, or yeah yeah an sro hotel which there's a bunch of those around um that area, the historic core in downtown LA, and all of them have like spooky histories and mm-hmm. dark vibes. Uh, there's like the Hotel Alexandria and things like that. Um, and it's just, it's a very, I, I was almost like drawn a little bit to like the spookiness of like downtown Los Angeles. It doesn't get a lot of attention, like as mm-hmm. a, in the context of LA in general, people usually stereotypically think of West LA, but like downtown is like that. I feel like the the first Terminator movie captured the vibe quite well. It's it's got like a very sinister like tech noir um like just uh devilish like vibe down there and just uh yeah, it, it it's a it's it can be a rough rough and crazy place uh to be. So, yeah. you know, is there some kind of like be... ancient yeah, like I would almost be willing to like stay in that hotel like for the podcast. I mean, if it weren't like, you know, <laughs> I'm not about to like uh travel like necessarily right now, like maybe like, you know, soon. Uh if we're not like living under like, you know, complete like uh martial giant law like uh vaccine <laughs> passport tyranny yeah. like uh yeah, you know, assuming. Yeah uh but yeah i, I would be like willing I, to yeah. i would be willing to pull out stunt you know maybe not sleep the night there but uh rent a room simply for wow. the purpose of recording a podcast episode from it. uh yeah i mean i would i would like i, I mean i feel like well yeah i feel like a law would protect me i mean i guess yeah. that would maybe be a trust god tie your camel type thing where it would be foolish to like court uh danger in a, in a demonic hotel but uh 
you yeah, know, but then again, I mean, so like, many, you know, look, like, but, actually, yeah. now that I think about it, I had heard stories like kind of, uh, you know, person who knows a person kind of stories uh, throughout, especially throughout those years that like, I lived down there that both the, uh, the, the Biltmore Hotel, which is like the big fancy hotel on Pershing Square in downtown, like right adjacent to like all the big financial skyscrapers. And then also the, uh, the Roosevelt, uh, apartment buildings, which is like an older apartment building. Both of those have like persistent rumors that they're haunted as well. So it's like, even it's like the apartment buildings, the SROs, the down skid row adjacent, which is where Cecil is, uh, all the way up to like the fancy bougie Biltmore hotel. They're, uh, according to some people, they're all haunted. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. so take from that as you will, Um, which means that, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, upstanding uh, people stay at the Biltmore all the time and they don't necessarily die. But people have heard creepy things like it. Like, I think there's more rumors that the Biltmore is haunted. Basically. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, a lot a lot going on there. And of course, the Los Angeles Public Library that is right next to the Biltmore is like super occulty looking and Masonic. Uh, mm-hmm. so there's just, you know, yeah, yeah there's a lot of the straight fascinating. And, oh, and there's like reptoid, like, there's maybe reptoid tunnels underneath downtown. Oh, right. Yes. The reptoid yeah. tunnels in LA. I, yes. you know, I always wanted to do all like a documentary on the reptoid tunnels in LA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I feel like yeah. that was like something that we talked about like years ago before, like the podcast was like a gleam in either of our eyes. Uh, we <laughs> wanted to do like a doc on like the reptoid tunnel stuff. Uh, around, yeah, um, and, yeah, but, uh, I still, like, somewhat do, but it's interesting that they rebranded and tried to, like, dissociate it from, like, the sort of mystique, because a lot of the time, like, people will lean into that, or that will actually sort of, uh, grow the popularity of some of these places, like, uh, you know, I think of that clown motel in, like, Las Vegas, or yeah, around yeah. Nevada. Um, yeah, like, yeah, the Clown uh, Motel. But, know, like, this they... is in the heart. This is pretty prime real estate that is, like, kind of under threat yeah. of getting gentrified. And so I think they were mm-hmm. desperate to, like, what is the biggest money group? And it would be, like, oblivious tourists who do not want to stay in a haunted yeah, hotel that so. tons of serial killers yeah, yeah, and yeah. people died at. Like, you know. Yeah, it, right. It, yeah, it's a little too enough. real Makes in sense. the case. It's not just a yeah. creepy clown hotel. It's, like, people have, a lot of people have yeah, died. Yeah, I guess the clown hotel is all, like, aesthetically scary. And it's not, like, there's no real substance to the idea that there's you know uh anything to be afraid of of the clown hotel whereas like there's many deaths and murders and suicides related to the cecil um yes um so yeah we will get to that one day um so okay Uh, let's uh let's let's move on to number two from jimmy fallon gong uh do you want to read it uh sure yeah I have a question for the next Q&A episode. Well, here we go. Uh, Do you each buy into the black slash white magic slash left hand, right hand uh, path dichotomy with regards to magic with a K? Do you think Mm -hmm. that magic with a K is real? Do you think left hand slash black magic is inherently evil or could be conceivably good under certain moral frameworks? Or is it beyond good and evil? Do either of you practice any forms of it, including or excluding your religious beliefs, depending on how you want to frame it? Not asking for an essay, (laughs) but I'm forming my conclusions and just wanted to hear y'all's insights. Um, Well, I think this is obviously a very interesting and uh, very, like, complex question with many uh, aspects to it. 
uh, on, I think it's probably the most, like, or, uh, the, the part that stands out the most is, uh, do you think that magic is real? Because I think that that kind of gets to the heart of the issue that I remember, uh, seeing, like, uh, you know, in the You Can't Win Discord, which I occasionally will, uh, lurk in or read, uh, you know, when our podcast first, you know, was, uh, coming out, uh, people maybe were recommending the podcast and someone said like, well, do I have to think that magic is real in order to listen to this? Um, Mm. and, uh, so maybe that's uh, an interesting, uh, question that some people have in their mind, but I think this is, you know, if you really think about this, it comes down to the, an ontological issue where we're like wondering like, okay, well, what does it really mean for something to be real? Like, obviously magic is real in the sense that it's a practice that many people have, uh, or yes. maintain. Um, yeah. and I think that, uh, you know, uh, I really think that it, it's not irrelevant to magic. And I think that the roots of, uh, you know, uh, things like theater and which are, you know, in many ways tied to the roots of, of film and cinema, uh, mm-hmm. and the, the roots of magic, those are, those are very closely, uh, tied together. And so I yeah. think that using, uh, examples like that, to understand this question is actually, uh, you know, very fruitful. Um, for instance, like if you're watching the movie Psycho or something, you know, and you're surprised that the protagonist dies in the middle of the movie, you might say, like, did she really just die? You know, so like, uh, and maybe the person you're watching the movie with would be like, yeah, you know, she really did. But of course, like, uh, if you think about it, like that question could be taken in a different way where like, you know, of course, like yeah. no one actually died. This is all a movie, you know, like, uh, if it was your three year old like, asking you that, like, daddy, did, he, did she just die? Yeah. You'd be like, no, 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 no. See, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the it's situation, not real. It's yeah. just a, it, yeah. Yeah. The, like, but it changes based on like, you know, uh, like what, like whether the answer to the question changes based on the circumstances, you know, or based on the framing of the question. So what's real is like a very, very complicated thing that like has a whole like attendant, uh, ontological, uh, discussion attached to it. Um, so the, uh, I think that yes, magic is, I feel like there's something in the question of, of is magic real that sort of relates to like, how people understand reality as being constituted. Uh, and it's really about, does reality have any uh, relationship to our experience of reality? Uh, or is there like a real world that then is separate from our experiences and uh, that those outside things are processed by us and then our impression of it is somehow you know, diluted by our senses and our perceptions maybe of things that are in some way magical or, uh, you know, transformative or, uh, that, uh, you know, involve these, uh, kind of, uh, effective, uh, networks or things like that. Uh, those aren't like of the same ontological status of like the raw inputs. I personally feel that like what is real is, uh, created, uh, in, the sort of uh space between maybe the the within and the without the sort of experience of react like you know the the, the there there's an there's an ontological primacy maybe to uh the experience of reality this is like again i mean i know this person <laughs> didn't uh ask for an essay but like uh you know uh this is like off the cuff so it's not really an essay uh but i'm just like okay uh, yeah uh, so but i yeah i think that it's uh it's very complex 
I feel like the whole issue of like, uh, you know, can someone chant enough? It's almost it relates to sort of what we discussed a bit in the past, having to do with uh, MK Ultra and their experiments with psionics and things like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. about like the sort of utility of it and like the applicability of it. Like, uh, yeah. how easily can I like focus my energy through a chant to like shoot a fireball that will blow up a tank or something like that you know like uh and i think that like that type of thing has never really been the object of magic that is like a you know uh a more recent kind of uh concept where really magic is uh sort of about interacting with the structure of reality maybe i mean you know there's a reason why it's called like a subtle art you know it's not uh like, uh, the, even in, uh, you know, uh, a lot of fiction where, uh, magic is depicted, maybe not in all of it, like, you know, some, uh, but there's a subtle aspect. And if you are vulgar in your display of magic, there often are consequences. So mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, this, the, maybe the most succinct way to answer this is that I think that the way in which magic is real is a way that is necessarily bound up with this question of ontology and what reality is and how that reality comes to be formed and how it is structured. And that Mm. like the, uh, the way in which magic is real is, uh, you know, uh, it's something that has magic by its very nature has to do with the question of what's real and to sort of have a resolution to that question uh, maybe doesn't, uh, isn't adequate to it. I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's many different, uh, dimensions to it. I, hopefully something in there is of value and doesn't just seem like, uh, a cop out, but I think that, you know, uh, that's a better, well, okay, to me, just... this is a more intellectually serious answer than to just say like, yes or no. Um, I mean, I guess I would say yes if forced. But, okay. like, uh, again, I think there's, I, there's complexities there. Uh, yeah. I would generally ride with pretty much everything you said, but let's, uh, let, let's pin ourselves down regardless about what do you think about left-hand versus right-hand path uh, as a dichotomy? Is that meaningful? Um, um, I think that is interesting because uh, a lot of the time the real uh proponents of the like people will identify themselves as black magicians but at the same time sort of disown this dichotomy you know a lot of the people who uh will most fervently identify themselves as being black magicians are the people who say like well of course you know they won't view black magic as being bad or like that there is like you know they don't really believe in sort of a uh, an external moral order or something uh, of that, yeah. uh, like you know, yeah. that way. So like they'll be like, well, what you the know, Satanists I just do what I say, want, you know? do what thou wilt. But yet at the same time, they identify themselves as being black magicians, which is weird because they're kind of uh, subscribing to this paradigm, but at the same time, suggesting that uh, you know there actually isn't like a, a moral uh, dimension to the use of magic. Um, I don't necessarily well. There is, like, a concept in Islam, for instance, of, like, the Halal seer, or, or the, the Halal uh, magic, uh, or mm-hmm. the Halal sorcery, um, and, uh, you know, this can take, like, many forms. Sometimes it just refers to, uh, like, poetry, really, and, like, sort of, uh, like, w- linguistic tricks, or a sort of okay. a sleight of hand in, uh, uh, verbally, you know, it can run the gamut in terms of, like, how the, the Halal uh, seer, seer uh, can, can function, or the... Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I think that 
you know, they're, you know, he says, uh, including or excluding your religious beliefs in a way, like, uh, there's a, uh, there can be supplication of entities or of daemons or whatever involved in, um, ceremonial magic and that type of thing. So, like, in a way, like, praying and magic, you know, the magical practices of, uh, you know, uh, pre- in pre-modern cultures, things that might be identified as being magical or practices today by, like, neo-pagan or, or, or occultists, they have some similarities with, like, what we do when we pray. Like, they have certain aspects uh, that are similar. Like, they have a sense of repetition, a sense of ritual, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, a sense of following prescribed steps. Uh, so, uh, you know, there is definitely, like, a bleeding uh, that occurs there and the uh, maybe that's part of the idea of this dichotomy um, that the left hand pa- sorry the right hand path would be by some concepts I think including that of like maybe the 09a the right hand mm. path would encompass things like you know orthodox Islam or, or Christianity yeah or reli- like, like traditional religion of the, is right the right hand, hand path. path yeah exactly yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think there black is and white something magic would be maybe a subdivision you know yeah yeah um, I would generally agree that like it, it that at least in the way I see it I do think the dichotomy is regardless of you know some greater plane where morality doesn't matter on earth like morality does matter and in our material lives and our subjective lives etc and uh basically you probably could lump like most major religions uh that have been around for hundreds of years and longer in generally kind of like the white magic um which often has also an association with being like exoteric as opposed to esoteric, which I don't know if that's like inherent, but it does seem to map that way a lot of the time um, where these kind of like left-hand path things are like occulted and are more secretive maybe because Mm -hmm. like they involve these like taboos and stuff. But I would say like in, you know, the modern context, like I just have a kind of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, spiritual political disagreement with anybody that embraces left-hand path or black magic kind of things, uh, even if they say that they are going to use them. I guess I wouldn't rule it out. You know, if, like, the Nazis were about to, like, drop a nuclear bomb on you and you could do some kind of uh, <laughs> nefarious black magic to, like, undermine them. Uh, you know, if Stalin had, like, Wolf Messing doing some black magic well, against like Hitler. I the best thing to do is, like... You know, no, I don't think that you should do that because that's going to the devil to fight the devil, you know, as like, I don't like. Well, exactly, it, exactly. Yeah, it's not going to be productive. It's, well, like, I, I would say but beyond, yeah, beyond. Not look for a way out through, you know. Yes. Uh, well, that's why I think you're like, you're like marshalling like the sort of white magic spirit of the masses to form partisan units and like, to, you know, join the Red Army and burn all their crops and give no quarter to the fascist pig <laughs> invaders uh, that they were able to win. Uh because he didn't turn to like Satan uh, to uh, accomplish that. That's probably like you know a highly reductive um, you know uh, spirit, subliminal spiritual reading of uh, World War Two. But nonetheless, I think there that, was um, that coven of like Gardnerian witches that tried to like you know hex Hitler or something or like you know they uh, yeah I mean Crowley uh, yeah. yeah Crowley apparently was like feeding bad astrological readings to I. Think think hitler's uh, astrologer 
and uh. was like that's something when we get back to Crowley and uh, maybe the Secret Agent 666 book I mean getting back to the very first episode we talked about Mind War and this will kind of like lead into our next question um, which we should get to is like the idea that as Aquino said that psyops are like lower black magic so in that sense like yes magic is real in a certain way and yeah, I, I don't think know that's to an quote, important thing that those theorists see theorists such as Aquino you know if you want to call them that uh they see a continuum between sort of performative things such as lying or deception yeah. or in fact theater like you know Crowley very interested in ancient Greece and like the theater of Elysium same thing with uh you know, the mysteries of Eleusis, uh, and, you know, and same thing with Bulvatsky, you know, they see a continuum between these things. And of course, you know, if you really go back to like practices that would be considered like, you know, a lot of time anthropologists or historians considered to be magical, like in places like uh, ancient Mesopotamia or in ancient Egypt, you know, there is a very like, you know, strong uh, link between like what would be considered r- ritual religious practice and like magical practice. You know, of course, these cultures yes. wouldn't use the word magic. And that's, I think, you know, in terms of, like, the black-white, like, that, I don't necessarily, I maybe I would uh, believe in some kind of left-hand, I maybe I, I could uphold, uphold some kind of left-hand-right-hand dichotomy, but the black-white one is a little bit, because, you know, I think that to do white magic, what is the distinction between that and to, you know, uh, I guess the way I've heard it phrased, uh, maybe, maybe this is, like, a, a, you know, something that, I think that even uh, like a Setian analysis uh, would agree with there's like a, a thy will be done versus a my will be done, you know, and that is mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, essence where if there's I don't think it's good to supplicate like uh, lesser beings like if you're supplicating anything for one, I don't think it's good to supplicate anything as like anthropo- anthropoid, you know, any kind of like Artemis <laughs> or like whatever. I don't think that's good, period. And like that, you know, I think that's like shirky, that's wrong, etc. Yeah. But, and, like, you know, any kind of lesser thing that's created, you know, you need to go to the creator, you know, a supplicating, like, uh, uh, stones and things like that, those, uh, you know, that's not the, the, the correct thing to do in my, in my view. Um, uh, so, you know, and I think that, you know, I almost feel, I, I would almost say the opposite uh, of what you say in terms of, like, uh, the this life versus the next life in terms of, like, morality. I think that oftentimes there can be an appearance that, like, moral calculus doesn't matter in this life because people who do awful things get away with it. Um, but I think that there is... I think that what you say, that you have a strong aversion to people who do things that seem to be, you know, that are against morality, I think that's because there is a sort of intuition that we have uh, of the fact that there is some kind of consequence. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Though, well, like, to be clear, that's, that's how, that's how yeah. I feel. Yeah. Is that yeah. there is a, there is a kind of, um, you know, uh, a, a significance to morality. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't think we're just like yeah. ants running around in like an ant farm. And, right. you know, if we were more ascended, then we would realize like how petty all that is. Like that's kind of, um, that's some, some kind of like shaitanic, like yes. popo mo mm-hmm. bullshit uh to me uh, a little bit of yeah, like you know exactly. or just like french black pilled mid-century like the is no meaning you know or like <laughs> yeah. or like red nietzsche once and uh mm-hmm. you know yeah. basically 
go on like yeah. a you know philosophical edgelord spree like burning down all meaning because like it doesn't matter like i'm very against that kind of punk ethos of like humanity yeah. is a shit drop the bomb not, like, or not, not nihilism like is uh you know nihilism is a true like you know uh yeah yeah or like anti-natalism you know? like yeah. it's just it doesn't people, work for me it, people do have a like i think that there's is it like even though like if you look at it from you can adopt that perspective and you can see how like there are people who do horrible like take George H. W. Bush, someone yeah. who, for all intents and purposes, got away with all the horrible things that he did. Like in terms of this life, you know, yes. like uh, nothing, like in like in a worldly sense, not, there were no consequences. But I think yeah. that the reason why we have this visceral sense that like it is bad to do these things or like to worship demons or to like commit murder and stuff like that, even if you do get away with it, is like uh, that is a, a pointing, that is a signal of the fact that there is like of significance to this and there will be uh consequences even if yes. they don't necessarily happen in a way that uh, can be readily apprehended in a worldly sense that's my belief for sure my feeling uh you know uh so and maybe that's uh, you know i mean some people uh, could could say oh that's cope but and maybe it is a little bit but it's uh i don't know i'm willing to ride with that idea yeah i don't george hw like bush so much as it is uh, yeah i don't feel like that is cope that is like tr- uh being attentive to like my like intuitions and and uh feeling yes. that perhaps they come from somewhere that there is a a cause or a reason for for these things uh, yeah and if you look around like you know you don't really see that there's a like a sort of practical scientific like reason for for morality you know there's uh there's maybe a reason to be sneaky but there's no real mm-hmm. good reason to be moral outside of our own like intuitions which and i feel that is, those come is, from a source uh yeah you know, deeply yeah. rooted in uh, us um yeah yeah okay um, let's uh let's jump to Number three. Let's see how we're doing. Thirty-six minutes. Okay. We're okay. Yeah, we're we're, holding, we're, hanging, yeah, we're hanging uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe a little bit more than that we, was a big one. Thanks, I hope that was that was Jimmy. a big one. Yeah. Um, thanks, Jimmy. That was a very <laughs> meaty one, and I think that those are themes that we'll come to like again and again. Uh, I imagine that like you know, uh, hopefully there's something to chew on in all of that. Uh, you know, even if like uh, yeah. I mean, it's a rich question, and for I sure. think that uh, you know the, the yeah. answers often are. And anyway, for the record, so. I do not practice magic. Uh, besides, oh, maybe uh, yeah. the occasional um, tarot reading or uh, yeah, you know, I've used like prophylactic. I've used like prophylactic like things like duas or like uh, you know like uh, the Quran like to protect myself, which like some people might consider to be like in some way like again there's a blurring that can happen sometimes between like our maybe that like white magic maybe could be something that's considered to be prophylactic most of the time um so i've done that when i felt that i was like in a spiritually dangerous situation but that i think you know doesn't really fall under magic especially not with a k uh you know yeah not with a k uh, and yeah yeah i think that's mostly just your normal like help me uh god you know uh, anyway yes. so yeah. yes um cool. uh, okay so yeah. number uh, uh number three is uh from future shock and they write you guys have touched on it a little bit when talking about anonymous but i'd love a discussion of the mind war-esque elements of the arab spring libyan war syrian war and the maidan coup 
Learning about these things is really what made me start to question official narratives as they were happening. I feel like these wars had such a huge social media spectacle element like never before and were in their own right massive psyops and there's so much weird stuff going on behind the scenes. I suppose maybe the progenitor of the tactics used in those cases is the propaganda of the Soviet-Afghan war, although that's before my time, of course. Kind of seems like that propaganda angle got fused with social media in these post-2010 conflicts. Um, yeah, I think that's 100% spot on. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think, honestly, yeah, like the the, the sort of di- the popular media discourse around the whole Arab Spring, Libya, Syria kind of, uh, you know, uh, phenomenon that was happening in the early 2010s, that was a radicalizing thing for me as well um, mm-hmm. and was the first time that I noticed, um, particularly probably later towards like 2012, 2013, that uh, something started to see off. That also lines up with, I think, when I kind of started lurking on Twitter for the first time. It was probably around 2013, 2014, and probably ran across the first sort of like tanky accounts that were like very boldly saying that like, uh, n- like no uh, Al Jazeera, Assad did not gas his own people <laughs> and, and things like that, which yeah. like at the time was kind of like, Oh, like I literally had been reading. It's like I thought I was like pretty woke about, you know, U.S. militarism and stuff. And I was already kind of sour on Obama, but it still felt like, oh, he would have to do a lot worse to match what whatever George W. Bush did. But then it was around those like early 2010s when I started to see some of these stories coming out and get disputed and then seeing what happened with Libya, where at first – like I, I'll admit it. I think I got psyoped a little bit by the Libya thing when it first happened, because mm-hmm. it, you know, as far as I knew, Muammar Gaddafi was sus, and while I don't, you know, I didn't think that it was a good idea to go in and like attack him. That I remember the hysterical things on the news, like he just handed out thirty thousand Viagra pills to like his rape brigades to go and just like rape anybody that people, uh, opposes yeah. his and rule. And people really wanted Obama to be good, you know. And there was a lot of like crit- you know criticism of Obama was coming from like all quarters. I think that that was you know like uh, maybe some people's feelings about Libya was like uh, an aversion to like the having to face the reality about Obama maybe cuz it was such, you know, a uh, hopeful moment for some, I don't know, but uh, Yeah, and that, yeah. but that was uh, that was really what kicked it off, right? Because then once he started with Libya and that succeeded, then they turned their eyes to Syria and they started licking their chops and I, you know, uh, I, I started to find out that I would say by 2014, um I you know, I I was working on something uh a TV pilot at the time, I think you might remember that uh, dealt with that situation in Syria mm-hmm. um, and particularly with drone operators that were involved in that. And in doing research for that, I started to notice that like most of the sides, these like so-called rebels that the U S was backing and wanted to like install were um, like by 2013 2014 were mostly al-qaeda <laughs> and like mm-hmm. uh it was like that and then isis burst on the scene and that's a whole nother can of worms but then just the entire 
theatrical aspect of things, even down to like the execution videos of those high profile American, you know, uh, journalists and stuff like Jim Foley and, um, and the, the, the other couple guys, uh, Steven, what's his name that I forget. Um, and like their sophisticated use of Twitter and their like psychopathic calling card snuff films. And then watching the Democrats, like, as, as it became more widely known, just what like a disastrous kind of war this was and how it was obviously being fueled by the U.S. and the EU and the Gulf state countries and Turkey and probably Israel as well uh, to basically just like knock out this government. But, uh, you know, in a kind of new hybrid style than they had done in Iraq with the Bush administration. It was actually, I think. Uh, Future Shock is right that uh, I think a lot of the principles from the Soviet Afghan war um, and in this case like the literal proxies were reused in this model of okay this is how we're going to uh, topple the Ba'athist government in Syria and then those psyops I mean I have to say we might disagree on this somewhat I really don't think Assad has ever dropped sarin gas like in any of those big incidents yeah, that well, happened I don't, know, I don't know about sarin per se like i don't know if he used sarin uh to quote the newsroom but uh <laughs> yeah. you know see I, another psyop uh, like, of that era uh, like, that they uh well yeah i just things. every time i think about sarin gas like i just think about that stupid but anyway like uh it's like ruined my brain but uh i like i don't know about the sarin gas maybe i'm le- i'll leave the door open for it I'm sure that he used chemical weapons as the other side did as well. Like chlorine, yes. you know, yeah. That's chlorine like, bombs. You know, yes. Uh, chlorine um, bombs. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, so, and I'm sure, like, you know, it's entirely possible that some of the chemical weapon allegations are like false. And there definitely was like, a concerted push to like depose, uh, like Bashar al-Assad and the, mm-hmm. and like also like, and what would have come as a result, like wouldn't, probably have been good uh yeah it would have been like libya you know we uh, all know the drill now slave markets refugee outflows yeah i'm not like a big you know i'm not as i think that that is also like another aspect of is it as grating to me as like the fanboyism around like the kurds like no but i also find that to be a weird aspect of the like social media spectacle of syria is the fanboyism like around assad which, uh, you know, on the one hand, there's, like, some of it on the left, which is a bit more benign, but it also bleeds over into, like, the weird sort of, like, right-wing stuff, which is not, to me, like, uh, like you know, it, uh, it's not distinct necessarily from this whole thing. Like, yes, yes, like, obviously it was a goal. It was, like, a, you know, a big geopolitical goal of the U.S. to get rid of Assad and then to, like, have a foothold, a stronger foothold there uh, without, you know, him in place and maybe even to have, like, this weird wedge state that was run by the based uh, anarchists of, you know, the PKK. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep, exactly. You know, um, which, like, I think that, uh, you know, both sides hate, uh, so we can agree uh, there. Yeah. But, yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think that, again, it's a similar situation to, to uh, it's a similar situation to Saddam, where, like, 
it like you know was he good no but like you know we can agree about what happens like uh, in terms yeah of the, yeah the and and i the u.s campaign against him uh, for sure and yeah. i think it was uh, like even though to some degree it failed uh this was i think like a new whole suite of tactics for how to like i mean obviously inspired heavily by the experience in the soviet afghan war and in the iraq you know uh invasion and occupation but it was like a new thing that for the first time it did incorporate social media as a theater of warfare basically i mean like information warfare and like psyop warfare on all sides of the conflict basically was like happening on twitter during the entire mid 2010s yeah and it it it, that was a real trip to kind of like sit on the sidelines and watch because we hadn't really had that before yeah, like the YPG, like, you know, standing is to uh-huh. me like a great distillation of that. How, like, there were so many, like, young millennials, like, leftists, you know, of all yeah. people who would have, or like, you know, quasi leftists who would have this deep investment in uh, conflict, like, and a particular side in this conflict that was ultimately like a U.S. proxy that they yeah. knew, like, very, very little about. And, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, it just, like, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very strange. It's very bizarre. And it was obviously something that was, like, with these glossy Rolling Stone write-ups and things like that. It was yeah. you know, something that well, was managed, that I mean, that's uh, the other thing, you know. too, is, like, it was one of these huge events that if you still look at kind of the alternative left like media space in terms of like the kind of you know i wouldn't i don't know if you would call them like suit you know actual uh celebrities but like kind of micro celebrities within uh a certain left space in the media world um so many people kind of made their bones on being like commentators about the syrian war and in some cases mm-hmm. like you know their stances at the time uh don't hold up super well like i'm thinking about <laughs> the entire gray zone project and uh Max Blumenthal, who, you know, and Ben Norton, who, you know, they post information. It's like sometimes I'll see they'll post something that is like, you know, interesting information. And I'll just like my hand will hover over that like button. And then I'll, I'll just remember like 2013 and I'll be like, no, I can never <laughs> I can never like these assholes because you know, not only was like, you know, Max Blumenthal is somewhat um, like paradoxically the son of Sid Blumenthal. It was like a longtime Hillary Clinton advisor is like involved in Benghazi and all this weird shit. But he and like Ben Norton and Rania Kalek and all those people basically were like super down, like super anti-Assad for the first couple of years of the war. And were even like no platforming people at like left forum who and other kind of like left wing, you know, conferences and stuff who dared to like uh, basically defend the the gas killing animal Assad. And then it's like something happened in like 2015 or 2016 where they just like flipped one day and they started attacking all the other alt left journalists uh, for being like simping for the U S empire. And they started attacking NATO and talking about U S imperialism and how, you know, all these things about Assad are lies, but like they never like really uh, address like, why were you guys so virulently like on the other side of this issue until like you all woke up and decided one morning to like actually Assad was based. And, uh, and I think they probably did a lot of standing of the Kurds before you know the the u.s proxy relationship got too obvious and then of course you know our our 
you know, a uh, number three podcaster, I think like in, I don't know, the United States or uh, maybe just in news and politics, the uh, the ultimate millennial dirtbag war hero um, who, uh, you know, don't say his name. I'm going to bleep it out if you do. But you uh, know, we're talking say. about uh, um, one day <laughs> to be portrayed by Jake Gyllenhaal and how that whole thing was built in like this sentimental standing of the Kurds. And like, I even fell not by the time that whole like dirtbag Chapo crowd was like standing. I, they came in so late that it was honestly kind of suspicious. Like everybody knew they were in like the SDF by that point. But like, I was, I was, you know, uh, a naive early head of like the whole based Rojava kind of, um, Oh, the PKK mm-hmm. is cool. Like back in like 2014 when they were actually like f- defending Kobani. There was, like a week when you were super into uh, Ojalan or uh, whatever. Ojalan, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did read some of his, like, democratic uh, confederalism stuff, which, you know, then once I got more into it, realized, like, this is all, like, kind of borrowed from Murray Bookchin, who is kind of, like, an idiot <laughs> and uh, just, like, an anarchist, uh, you know, and, like, love deep ecology and all this weird shit. And, you know, it's kind of the same, like, anarchist dead end that is not actually, you know, this isn't the kindling of, like, a new socialist paradigm that's happening uh there yeah it would just be like israel part de um (laughs) yeah but um based ethno state that's a that's a generalization but yeah exactly it's the same principle of having like a u.s sympathetic wedge ethno state but yeah i think that that whole thing was like you know that's one of the biggest like and just the whole the fact that it became like the the unquestioned paradigm that like everyone had to be like rooting for a side in this war that like the u.s should just not be involved in to begin with Uh, yeah uh i mean they threw more money it was the most expensive cia covert operation since afghanistan in the 80s they threw billions of dollars into arming these like al-nusra front and you know future isis and probably you know, while they were ISIS, we're, we're secretly funding, funneling them through Turkey, a NATO country, you know, buying their illegal, their stolen oil and things like that and all kinds of other shit. Um, they, you know, their, their fingerprints through like Timber Sycamore and the army program and the drone operations and like, you know, having dirtbag leftists uh, call in airstrikes you know, with an yeah. iPad and shit like that. Like they, they were absolutely like the aggressors and, uh, and, and to a large degree instigators of this conflict. But that was like, it's so bizarre. It was like, you know, that was basically unacceptable to talk about in like mainstream discourse from like both parties, all mainstream news was completely in lockstep from like the most right wing Republicans to the most like, you know, neolib compassionate neoliberals, they all wanted to like invade Syria. And that was a really dark feeling. And then, but then there were these kind of opposition little microcultures that were set up that, um, that were kind of even captured in their own way. And, you know, being kind of like puppet mastered by, uh, shadowy forces and yeah like like weird kind of like david duke like remember syrian girl my god um that's A why you girl, know what right? like partisan fun girl? trivia that is why for any of the um you know marxist twitter heads uh that is why phil greaves blocked me in 2017 because i was pointing <laughs> out that basic i was criticizing syrian girl and he's like you need to stop doing that mate like don't be daft <laughs> like you know <laughs> or whatever and uh and i remember like he red, lo- Kahina, yeah, he, red kahina he, yeah, slid into the 
thread before, was like yeah, was like you need to stop thing. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, she was like, you know, you, you're doing harm by spreading this thing about the SSNP, which you know was a, uh, a CIA proxy, like weird, like Nazi admiring party from like the they were kind of like Strasserites, like Strasserite nationalists, and yeah. uh, and uh-huh. had all this weird shit. And Syrian girl is like uh, super plugged in with them. Like Tulsi is connected to them as well, and like Richard Spencer and uh, David Duke yeah, and all I these people. Yeah, I remember like wa- seeing that argument. You're like pretty deferential to Phil Greaves. You're like, will you acknowledge that like the SSMP is like sus, like a bit or something, you know? And he was like, yeah, you know, doing this weird like obfuscatory like uh, you know bizarre like can't of some kind like invoking he all this would... terminology like is it relevant like you know that they are uh, in alignment with the national bourgeoisie or like whatever like you know like all right uh he uh, like, yeah he yeah, kept trying uh, to straw man me into say you know by criticizing the SSNP which is technically in coalition with like Assad's you know government then uh, you're basically saying that like Assad should be overthrown and I'm like no I'm very clear like that's not what I'm saying and like I don't blame Assad for like get, taking help wherever you can get it you know like if these guys have a sus history like whatever but uh, but at the same time like I think leftists should be like aware that like we maybe don't run around being like based SSNP SNP and uh, base Syrian girl because she's like going on David Duke's radio show all the time to talk about like the Zio plot to like, you know, like, uh, you know, it's a, uh, and then, you know, he blocked me because uh, he <laughs> just like, he had to cape for, uh, for Mimi that hard uh, or uh, something like that. Yeah. That was a fun like foray uh, into, uh, in, into the, you know, Marxist Twitter beef. I think many people have probably gotten blocked by Phil Greaves and it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a merit badge. I think if you're coming up in like ML Twitter uh, to get into an argument with Phil Greaves and get blocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, for sure. I mean, I mean he, blocked... he probably has blocked people for like good reasons too, but he definitely flies off the handle. I, I, I see, I've been living in a Phil Greaves list Twitter for like years. Like I, people, I see people talk about him and I like don't know what his takes are. Apparently, like he he's questioning germ theory. I don't know. Like I just get these That's vague fun. intimations. Yeah. Is he into uh, miasma theory? Uh, what's I his, have no uh, idea. I have no idea. Yeah, but um, um, but so much of like my relationship with Twitter came out of a lot of this fighting around the Syrian conflict. So uh, you know, it's a it it definitely was foundational for like the even the, like the Twitter world we kind of have today This one, right, hopefully, yeah. uh, I hope you can give a clear recommendation for this question. Um, no. Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, but, well, okay, why don't you give it a try? So number four, this, uh, yeah, go uh, for it. Yeah, is there an English translation of the Quran that Khalid could recommend? So I would say, uh, like, okay, so again, there's many. Uh, the first one that I ever read, the first uh, Quran translation that I read that uh, will always have a special place in my heart is uh, N.J. Dawood's, which I think is very good in sort of capturing the uh, poetry of the Quran and, like, the uh, sort of 
uh, language in a very straightforward way. You know, it's by uh, an Iraqi Jew, I think, uh, N.J. Dawood, a non-Muslim. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you're maybe not to make any uh, assumptions about Watch Mojo, but there are some people out there who, like, are worried about getting their uh, Islam information from a Muslim source because they're afraid that it'll be biased in some way or cover up, like, the violence. So, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a benefit of that translation that will always have a, a place in my heart. A lot of people, uh, you know, admire the, the uh, eloquence of Arbery's translation. Uh, it's a very popular translation um, uh, that has, I think, sort of a, uh, you know, a vibe that's uh, maybe uh, that reminds people of the sort of uh, the popular Bible translation. So uh, that might be interesting thing to look at. I mean, really, like, it's a matter of doctrine that, like, a translation of the Quran is not the Quran, you know, like, it is something that, like, uh, you know, so I think that looking at uh, a, a bunch of translations, you know, is the only way to possibly converge on it, uh, you know, uh, but uh, another popular one is uh, Muhammad Assad's, uh, that's a, a one that's uh, very respected, people like that a lot, uh, I think maybe because of the, uh, the maybe the, the precision um, in, in some of the, the terminology, uh, people like, uh, it's sort of, but, uh, of course it reflects, uh, certain views as well. And I guess the last one maybe that I would mention, uh, is the, the study Quran that just came out. Um, and I think that, that, uh, because, you know, there is a, uh, I guess some people maybe will want a little bit more support in terms of like sources and footnotes. And that really is the, the most robust, uh, sort of, uh, Quran in English, that's sort of a real, stu uh, you know, what it is, uh, the study Quran. While there's many study Bibles, you know, this is the first English language study Quran where there's like, you know, footnotes to support the context and things like that and sort of give some of the exegesis of the different verses. So that's valuable uh, in that sense. Uh, so those are, are some of, of uh, my recommendations. Oh, I guess there's also Pickthall, which I've always had a soft spot for as well. Uh, you know, it's very old timey sounding, but I, I do like it, and I think that a lot of the the, uh, the translations like hold up and, and are accurate. Another recommendation mm -hmm. that uh, I this is not how I read it, um, but something that uh, people have uh, said to me that I think is a good thing uh, in terms of you know reading the Quran for the first time is to read it from back to front because uh, uh, an important feature of the Quran is that it's not like in chronological order at all. It's in order of the length of the surahs, which the lo uh, the longest ones being first. Uh, so the chronological oh, order of the Quran. I didn't realize yeah. that. Uh, the Quran is like a, you know, magisterial, uh, I mean, you can't, there's, you like, you know, uh, you can't, uh, praise it sufficiently, but it's like a magisterial, <laughs> like postmodern, like, uh, you know, uh, transcendent, uh, piece of work. But yeah, uh, it's not like written in any kind of chronological order. The way that it's presented traditionally is in order, uh, with, you know, al-Baqarah being first. Uh, the lengths of the surahs are first, so uh, maybe a good way in is to read the sort of shorter ones at the end, um, and you know. But I think something like the Study Quran uh, and maybe some of the other uh, volumes that I've, I've said will have a reference for like you know what comes when. But yeah, it'll be all kind of because you know that's not uh, yeah they uh, of course the the meaning is sort of a variant and then and, and transform. So uh, yeah, uh, so that's a recommendation that I've heard people reading the Quran for the first time is to start with the the less dense stuff because diving into al-Baqarah might be, might be intense. But, uh, for my part, I did read it, uh, you know, from front to back and I was gripped right away by al-Baqarah because they come out very heavily against, you know, Ursary, the, uh, maybe some of the, uh, audience that we have for, uh, for Subliminal Jihad will, uh, find that appealing because, you know, it's very, uh, anti-capitalist, uh, message, you know, in, in al-Baqarah, like some of the 
the uh, anti-Ursary passages, uh, some of the very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, strong, uh, you know, inveighing against uh, greed and, and, and uh, excess wealth uh, comes in, in early in that chapter. So it's, uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that. pretty cool. Okay, All right. Yeah. Um, I just want just to close um, that out, you know, as a as a non-Muslim uh, who did some years back, I think, read maybe like a third of the Quran from front in. Um, I just looked up the uh, the Arbery translation on archive.org, which you can get. And uh, I just want to read the last surah because it's actually extremely dope opening. So I want to give credit to, uh, you know, the prophet. What do you say when, you know, you want to... It's God. Uh, yeah, that uh, what you just said is bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, because, uh, I mean, Wait, I guess it uh, is the credit for the prophet for, uh, you know, being the, the locus of, of revelation, but, uh, you know... Ooh, so you're right. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. credit... Um, uh, well, uh, so, yeah, so credit to Allah. Yeah, we do uh, give credit to him, but the words, you know, are from, from Allah. But I, yeah, I, I just want to yeah. read, like, you know, the very last slash, the very first surah, which, you know... Um, you know, I'm trying to be nice here and, you know, give the non-Muslims here like a reason to, you know, crack, crack the Quran. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not that they need yeah. one for me, but uh, it's mm-hmm. called men. And it says, say, I take refuge with the Lord of men, the king of men, the God of men from the evil of the slinking whisperer who whispers in the breasts of men of jinn and men. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a common, like, like commonly cool. done, like <laughs> prophylactically. Yeah, exactly. And you can actually see kind of the uh, like postmodern vibe of the Quran in that verse because when it says "say" like that, that's like a direction from God to the prophet. So yes, like, it's the say prophet is reciting what what God is telling him to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. And. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but also, of course, it's something for us to say, you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's uh, so many dimensions, and, like, the perspective, like, changes, and you have, like, the prophet, you know, these are words from, they're being spoken by the prophet, but they, they come from God, and, the, you know, there's this uh, very fascinating thing that happens in the revelation of the Quran, when, like, the words of God, like, are, you know, uh, bound to the soul of a man, and they are coming out this way, but yes, uh, okay. absolutely, that's a, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, the the names of the the surahs that are they're given to them are, are very evocative, and they're uh, based on uh, words that appear, um, you know, uh, with uncommon frequency uh, in those in those verses uh, relative to mm. the other ones. So you know, there's like uh, you know, like the bees and and the cow, and they have these sort of evocative names like he the backbiter, you know, things like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, rivalry. Um, yeah, it's like it yeah. sounds a little bit like uh, like um. I'm not going to make any jokes, but it sounds like a track list to like a Drake album, like Parish, mm-hmm. Sincere Religion, Daybreak, uh, The Unbelievers, Help, Charity, yeah. Abundance, uh, The Elephant, <laughs> I don't know, The yeah. Backbiter, uh, yeah. Rivalry, uh, The Earthquake, uh, mm-hmm. Power, of course, Power, Dope. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah wow. I'm going to start reading that. That's a good, that is a very good tip, actually, to read it backwards. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. It starts definitely. like brief little haikus that get bigger mm-hmm. as you get into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, okay, so <clears throat> we're going to move on to number five now. Uh, again, yes. from Watch Mojo 420, who asks Is there historical evidence of people doing the most dangerous game type of shit? Any evidence of Southern slaveholders doing explicitly satanic ritual sacrifice of slaves, especially in Louisiana? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, in terms of the first question, I do remember that there was one, like, probably, like, the most famous example of that, uh, that maybe uh, Watch Mojo 420 has even heard of, is the 
there was a serial killer like in Alaska who I think there was even a movie based on it who would like abduct women and then hunt them in a most dangerous dangerous game type way. Um, I am trying to remember. Uh, I feel like if I Google most dangerous game serial killer, it'll come up. Uh, like uh, uh, Hans Robert Hansen, American serial killer. Yes, um, he abducted uh, at least 17 women. He hunted many of them down in the wilderness with a Ruger Mini 14 and a knife. Dope. Uh, wow. so, but that's okay. recent, you know, relatively recent. That was in uh, 1971 wow. and uh, between 1971 and 1983. So that's not maybe the antebellum period that uh, maybe he was thinking of. But I mean, I don't know about explicit satanism uh on the part of i mean two people that come to mind one is delphine lalore uh who i think was uh depicted also in uh a tv show an american horror story i think maybe it was like a sympathetic portrayal or something but i don't know but like kathy bates played her uh but she was like a really depraved um you know uh slave owner who tortured her slaves in the very uh brutal ways um and uh yeah i think that she even faced like uh charges for the way that she had treated her her slaves uh which you know obviously would be pretty extreme uh under the circumstances for like a white person to be uh, suspected of like you know or charged with any kind of crime or any kind yeah. of liability well, for the way she treated her her slaves but yeah uh she uh, has tortured them you know uh yeah uh, who are, um, wait who are you referring to sorry i was reading uh, delphine LaLaurie. oh yeah delphine uh, LaLaurie. yeah who was depicted i just brought her up yeah she was uh who was depicted in season three of american horror yeah. story yeah mm-hmm. um yeah, so she was on some Gilles de Ray shit. Um, yeah, she was. There was another dude, uh, I want to say Arthur Hodge, who, uh, like, he poured some boiling water down, like, his cook's mouth and did all sorts of, like, really depraved torture of his slaves, including children. But, again, is that, did they invoke the devil in doing this? Like, not that I, you know, not that I know of. Were there any explicitly satanic sacrifices of slaves? Yeah. It's totally possible. uh, I'm definitely going to lean on, there's there's probably something going on there, especially when you think about, you know, Albert Pike, who, you know, the Confederate general, who, uh, and uh, I think Secretary of State, he was a cabinet official, wasn't he? Yeah. in Jefferson Davis's, you know, government, um, who went on to, you know, sort of reestablish the uh, Scottish Rite, mm-hmm. and right. and also co-found the KKK, uh, which has all these like spooky, you know, Grand Imperial Wizard, uh, you know, kind of bizarre, right? Yeah, his Masonic kind of titles. His putting explicitly in parentheses made me think like he wants something like very particular, like Hail Satan type stuff, but. In terms of, like, you know, uh, adjacent, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, Delphine Lolore uh, or Hodge, uh, Arthur Hodge, would, would qualify. And in general, yeah. like, lynching is in a way like a form of human sacrifice. You know, it's a You're right. like, it is. Uh, debauched it is. Uh, satanic ritual. Um, so, you know, uh, if the. Especially uh, if you as, think about a lot of Klansmen in, in white and hooded robes doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The KKK for sure, like, has an occult uh, component. So, yeah, the, the more uh, generous you are in your definition of, of Satanism, like, the more. I mean, certainly that type of stuff is satanic, but 
if you're looking for something hail state nothing comes to mind there might be something where they're explicitly invoking the devil like trying to make some kind of deal with the, the devil but uh not that i know of i'd have to do more research uh, yeah something something to, 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 to turn something. back yeah, some, yeah something to dig into later i mean also it does remind in terms of the most dangerous game there is you know we we had mentioned before uh kathy o'brien had alleged that in uh in her book transformation of america right yeah transformation yeah mm-hmm. yeah right. so she had mentioned uh though it wasn't always a game that involved you know killing the the people that you caught but it would involve you know abuse and and torture and uh, assaults of various kinds also one that's probably uh more clearly substantial well i don't know if this part well when we go back around and do a deeper dive on the detroit scandal in belgium there were allegations from some of the victims in that that on some of the royal hunting grounds, uh, some of these you know uh, kidnapped or enslaved children were uh, you know unleashed into some kind of most dangerous game thing where like Belgian aristocracy and royalty would you know go around with like hound dogs and hunting rifles and you know things or you know thin <clears throat> basically things of that nature i think it it's one of these stories that um that really resonates with people and kind of recur like different versions of it pop up from time to time um i think there was just that that movie wasn't it a damon lindelof movie called like the hunt it was like one of the last films to come out oh before the pandemic. yeah yeah where yeah. it's like a bunch of liberals hunts uh mega people deplorables you know? uh, yeah right. it's i i didn't yeah. see it i didn't particularly want to like it's like the whole no, discourse it around stupid. it on both sides sounded it sounded kind of dumb and like had its metaphors kind of mixed i think there would be a cool way to do like a modern most dangerous game type of story but it wouldn't look like that and this idea of like uh, I don't know if you're going, I think they were kind of going for a both sides kind of satire thing. Um, maybe a little bit like that really bad John Stewart movie that came out last year that I already mostly forgot about that just feels like it's almost from a different era. It's completely out of I touch with like, talking about. uh, yeah, it was like a horrible, it was called like irresistible or something like that. It was like the weirdest, most tone deaf, like, <clears throat> bizarre movie uh to to come out last year uh from john stewart you know making a big political statement about sanity uh or something like Mm -hmm. that anyways um i think that the most dangerous game um i think things like that have definitely happened uh i wouldn't rule out like uh i don't know not to single them out but like saudi arabia uh, like some of those gulf countries seem to be uh, people go there and disappear. There's a lot of apocryphal stories and probably a lot of verified ones of that happening. Um, you know, like like sex workers going over there and like never coming back, or you know, um, you know, slaves from you know Bangladesh or something like that, or you know, people's passports taken away, like all kinds of horrible things. I think that <clears throat> that definitely. Um, probably was happening throughout the 20th century and probably is happening today um uh well in terms of like an antebellum context like of the you know uh, slave owning south like really the whole institution of like slave patrols and slave catchers like there is an element of 
sport to that and it's kind of you know, so it's that's really true yeah I, yeah the slave from. patrols if, if you think about slave patrols yeah. they kind of are literally a most dangerous game except the definition of game is a little bit you know um, yeah it's a little bit strained liberal, but at the same time there's yeah. kind of an aspect of sport too, like the way that they their techniques for hunting wouldn't be too different from the way that animals will be hunted they would even use dogs and bloodhounds so you know uh, very much in that sort of territory um mm-hmm. definitely yes. uh, definitely um yeah okay yeah uh that i think we'll yeah we'll try to come back to that later um find an appropriate yeah. line into it but i think there's i think that type of shit called, is going uh, on there's a novel called falling angel that i recall by william hjortsberg uh mm-hmm. which is kind of like kind of talks about like the connection between like voodoo and like european occultism it's like a hard-boiled detective story but there's all sorts of like uh you know sj type themes uh yeah uh, this question sort of reminded me of it a bit uh yeah yeah it might be interesting to, to revisit that but anyway yeah uh yeah goes? yeah um, um okay so uh let's see we can move on to uh number six from uh redacted um who asks? Yes. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, I guess yeah. You want to? <sighs> yeah. We're gonna be yeah. Well, I'll read it. Yeah. Do you see any notable sp- spooky connections or subliminal jihad elements behind the sexual revolution, the development of the birth control pill, quote, abolish the family ideology, and the like? Uh, well, this is definitely a softball. Like you know, it would definitely be like easy to knock it out of the park from like a religious <laughs> conservative perspective because like you know. Uh, like, trad-type people, you know, would be, like, all over, like, yes, absolutely, you know, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there's, like, some aspect of that which is, like, managed uh, or uh, uh, d- intended to subvert uh, other, like, you know, the, the, the sort of disruptive tendencies of these social movements maybe are, uh, you know, uh, directed in certain ways. I mean development i think there's different aspects here where there's a sexual revolution development of the birth control pill and abolish the family ideology i mean it's easy to see how the abolition of the family would be something that would allow like you know the government to uh have greater control over people or you know uh that would disrupt like you know uh sort of uh, resistance to uh other power structures because families are like reliable units uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, kind of the uh, the, the, of, the smallest you know. unit of like social yeah, a, reproduction. Yeah, and it's a nucleus of uh, you know power, and so if it were abolished, then the sort of uh, you know uh, yeah the, the 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 smallest unit of power would then be I don't know like something that the state would have some hand in I think or more so you know I don't necessarily think that. The family would need to be abolished for, like, you know, uh, the agenda of, like, the globalists to, like, be realized, <laughs> but it certainly couldn't yeah. hurt. Um, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I, like, I think uh, that, and I think you even see it in, well, okay, I mean, they're, they're also asking about the sexual revolution, which I think, as we've gone through a little bit about the 60s cultural revolution in general, uh, you know, we saw, we, we've already seen just from like through the prism of the Grateful Dead and uh, like the acid test or whatever, that certain types of values were like very consciously promoted. Certain types of, in one case, you know, maybe it's a birth control pill. And in another case, it's a tab of LSD. Um, 
and you know the car keys in your hand um that basically uh have a huge impact on your reality now i wouldn't go so far as to say that you know the birth what was the development of the birth control pill itself like an op um I mean, it I, is interesting I can't that, speak on like, I, I would have to look at the actual, pill, you know, from like a rad femme perspective, it is interesting that the birth control pill is like something that women take and that like can, you know, for uh, by many accounts, like really fuck you up, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, and definitely. like, you know, there isn't something, you know, or the, the expectation that women should take this and, uh, you know, I mean, in a way, like. There definitely are to the uh, de- the way that feminism has developed, uh, not to just be like a f- cliche where it's like I have a certain sympathy for like second wave feminism, but then there's like sort of, uh, you know, a way that uh, it's been uh, co-opted and become something that is easily, uh, you know, taken advantage of by capital. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's somewhat true that like there are uh, ways in which like feminism or like girl power is uh something that is used now to like sell products and doesn't really have much of a political uh much political teeth to it really uh well i mean i i think you would i I think i think Uh, if it i I don't know i would slightly disagree with that i would say that it it does have teeth uh in terms of its uh cultural power as a narrative but the way it's being utilized is basically as um you know, as basically kind of a tool of capital and of like empire, basically, like it's been yeah, completely basically what I mean. Like captured, not, yeah. There's in the mainstream, not like any, there's not teeth to it in the sense of like, yeah, obviously it's a power. Oh yeah, yeah. If it's like it's of its radical potential, liberation or, compelling. Yeah, or like yes. the idea is it's certainly not something that's disruptive to like the current order or anything, or to like. Or really to, yeah, like the, I don't know, like the, the organization of society as it is, I guess, uh, or even to like patriarchy or something like that. I don't think like it's really uh, meaningfully disruptive in its, in its current form, like the sort of, you know, neoliberal, uh, you know, just vague sort of feminism that doesn't really mean much other than like more women CEOs and things like that or yeah yeah exactly uh, which is a very popular uh paradigm being promoted right now but also like yeah that kind of signifies like that all of the revolutionary like emancipatory potential for the most part has been kind of drained from it so it's not going to I mean, there's definitely people like we've mentioned gloria steinem you know that's well, yeah yeah exactly like, prominent feminists who have made and she links, was like uh, she CIA was like that yeah. well exactly i mean she you know, yeah. she yeah miss magazine i mean she was like an early cia agent she traveled around the world to these like youth festivals and went even to like the communist international youth festivals like undercover uh with the nsa the national student association which is just like such a funny joke they're they're kind of just hiding in plain sight there um but then you know she was there at kind of every step in kind of like the late 60s and the 70s and uh and probably into the 80s when she was dating henry kissinger that kind of shaped and defined like a lot of the kind of mainstream direction of this kind of a large movement that had, you know, a lot of, and, you know, there was no shortage of acrimony from, you know, other like, you know, second wave feminists and, um, you know, like, you know, theorists and activists in the seventies. Uh, what was it like the red stockings? 
Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. Who who like went after her in a big way and then got like shut down and kind of like, you know, uh, basically. And Gloria Steinem was always kind of promoting this very bourgeois, like, and kind of like liberal anti-communist and, uh, you know, uh, kind of like corporate approved feminism that was about like, you know, I, I guess more... You, you know, like in the eighties, it became like wearing like the shoulder pad, you know, blazers. And like, you have to be as tough as like the men, you have to be as ruthless mm-hmm. as like the men. Cause they're all cutthroats and like, yeah. And lean in and that kind of thing. So I think to the, I mean, and you see it nowadays where like, I, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood's version of a feminist movie is like air force fighter pilot, captain Marvel, like kicking ass. Yeah, and like, exactly. that's like female yeah. empowerment, but like that's suspiciously similar to like the macho eighties, thing it's just that like we've exhausted that narrative arc now of like the, the jacked up IDF Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, yes like um yeah which, which is a real exactly. thing in the 21st century now you know you have female fighter pilots you have female drone operators like they're pretty you know integrated and probably important to keep the military staffed at the level like it needs to be it, it probably was like a pragmatic decision at a certain point to open yeah, up a lot really of these categories the to women the way that it's shaken out in a big way is just that, like, you know, a lot of the uh, sort of transformations we've witnessed in, like, the dis- like you know, the popular discourse around gender, a lot of the way that it's, like, shaken out is just that, like, you know, now, uh, like, whereas there were sort of defined gender roles within capitalism, like, you know, the, the sort of standard thing you hear is, like, the man makes the money and the woman spends the money. Now, like, mm-hmm. both are fully realized consumers who, like, can yes. be reached on, like, all the different levels that, like, you know, the other one can uh, previously was, you know, like, man, you know, it's yeah. okay to, like, uh, you know, care about, like, fashion or, like, you know, all these, like, traditional, you know, you can uh-huh. buy all these traditionally feminine products and, like, women, yep. you can buy all traditionally masculine products, you know? Yep. Like, or, yeah, exactly. You know, They're just opening it up to, to be, like, a wagey, like, forever, you know, ex- like, uh, like, it, it, like, be a salary woman you know that's uh-huh. like awesome you know like you're like okay like word um yeah but, yeah no yeah, absolutely like, uh, like that because at a certain point there you're kind of like you're expanding into new markets and these are like sentimental kind of psychological markets that society sort of like you know sort of conditioned everybody into over decades and decades of you know this is the kind of cigarettes a, a man smokes and this is what a lady you know um yeah etc etc all that kind of stuff and now it's like you can kind of like flip it around on its head and then make it new and like add some novelty to it and then if you can attach a kind of uh feeling of like social and political progress with your consumption of that product then that that's what a lot of this is like kind of degenerated to and i think like the strands of it that were promoted by people like gloria steinem that's probably like kind of what it was up to in the first place was let's you know uh reimagine yourself as empowered as a kind of individualist economic actor and consumer who will at, at best case scenario like rise to a high rank in the existing power structures and throw elbows with like you know the boys and uh and yeah and slay you know slay like slay queen you know yeah and i think that we do see how you know this is like really sounding like jordan peterson bit or something but i think that we do in a way see like a uh 
sort of like grappling with some of the consequences of like the sexual revolution and stuff around like you know me too in a way is like a sort of attempt to reckon with uh the like issues of sexual morality that like you know when you basically okay well you know like uh free love etc etc like then you have people like Aziz Ansari being like hey like what did I do wrong you know like uh whereas of course like in a traditional paradigm like there's many, many steps where, like, that would have never even been, like, on a table, or, like, you know, like, uh, we had to kind of litigate, like, what exactly Louis C.K. did wrong, you know, like, did she say yes, did you, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, yeah, or, like, maybe not him, maybe everyone agrees that what he did was wrong, but there are definitely, no, actually, a surprising amount of people, yeah, a surprising amount of people don't don't think that was wrong, Um, yeah, exactly, so, like, you know, whereas, of course, like, under a more traditional paradigm, like, there would be no question that, like, but, uh, you know, of course, I do, like, you know, so I think that we've uh, definitely given some play to the yes side of the equation, but I would also push back against kind of the trad uh, side of it, where it's like, oh, you know, like, the uh, uh, the whoever, like, uh, has the, you know, the, the world controllers have, like, you know, made our women, like, less submissive or whatever, and, like, you know, this is all yeah. to subvert... You know, I think that, uh, I think it's overblown, like, the extent to which, like, women were at one time, like, submissive and didn't, like, agitate for, like, greater rights or, like, you know, greater, uh, you know, uh, or to have, uh, you know, I think that uh, if you look at, like, uh, you know, uh, being a historian, like, looking at history, like, in the, uh, you know, Slack world, people are always complaining about women, like, and always, like, viewing them as being, like, uppity and demanding uh, rights <laughs> and, and things like that. So I feel like that in some ways, like, some of this is perennial but like new developments like the idea of abolishing the family obviously i don't really know how much play that has outside of people like i don't know like uh sophie lewis yeah uh yeah like outside of people like sophie lewis i don't know how much play like ideas like that really get i mean i don't well i mean i think a lot of the stuff is just like okay all right sure yeah abolish the family like good luck you know i feel that way yeah (laughs) right right uh yeah yeah. it's Um, been a pretty much a constant uh you know basically for thousands that's just like oh i'm gonna sell like my book to like other like you know a small group of other people who were entertained by like this idea or excited by like the theoretical potential of yeah. this utopian vision of abolishing the family but like but i also uh, uh i mean uh, i also yeah. not to say that they're gonna ever get their fantasy and that's ever actually gonna kind of happen in that stark way but i think it is worth kind of paying attention to to see like in what way because these are people that do get their books published and do get so, certain levels of you know uh, niche media attention and you know say like the you know the the la review of books or something like that you know and um uh, or maybe they get to go on npr or something like that and like to what extent is kind of throwing out these like cockamamie kind of utopian theories like ideologically productive for like the psychos at davos you know like i mean because how much because think about that like you know you're kind of potential to strike gold in terms of a career if you pander to sort of that crowd a little bit or you say something that you think that like secretly Peter Thiel is going to like love you know and mm-hmm. um and like uh, yeah even getting in a kind of weird like you know I mean whether it's Bill Gates or like you know Jeffrey Epstein and all this weird like transhumanist scientific like you know funding of various foundations and things like that um that they're very into like far out like kind of psychotic things like that or maybe they recognize the usefulness of sort of 
you know, maybe not literally abolishing the family, but like de facto abolishing the family, you know, through these various means that various pressures in society. Uh, yeah, I mean, that certainly have, like I've definitely noticed anecdotally that like the idea of having kids is something that uh, like for economic reasons, perhaps is something that fewer people like are considering, you know, like uh, many people express. Like the, you know, uh, other people like obviously are totally down to start families, have children, etc. But some people of our generation like do feel that, you know, it's uh, not something that is viable for maybe economic reasons just because of how expensive yeah. it's become. Maybe that's an aspect of that. But yeah, like uh, in terms of like, you know, in terms of that's a huge like, factor. So like the idea of like full surrogacy now, you can kind of see the stark difference between, like, you know, uh, I mean, my favorite old-school rad femme is Andrea Dworkin, mm-hmm. and someone like that who, you know, uh, was very much opposed to the ideal of surrogacy at all, and, like, compared this to, you know, prostitution in which, like, there isn't, you know, choice, uh, and uh, it's sort you know, uh, the idea of, like, you know, full surrogacy, like, everyone yeah. needs to, like, that... Yeah, like, that would be a nightmare for Andrea Dworkin, uh, you know, so... And, you can definitely see uh, it and maybe me too, yeah. Uh, uh, it something about full yeah, surrogacy, perhaps. and it's like, yeah, like, yeah, who's well, going to be doing this labor that's going to be offloaded from people who can pay for it to people who can't if we, like, build this out? Like, like th- it's just that kind of, like, that's, like, some wild, like, all this Huxley kind of shit. Like, like well, if we did that, like... You know, just sometimes you just because they have a British accent doesn't mean they're right. Um, <laughs> um, you know, like there's a lot there. <laughs> there's just um, a lot. I don't but, know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that I don't know. The whole thing has changed, and not to like you know, uh, I recognize that like generally speaking, like it's frowned upon when like two males like Yammeron or two uh, AMAB individuals like Yammeron about like what we think about these things. But at the same time, like you know, yeah, uh, one can see the like uh, you know, maybe this is a debate that women need to have amongst themselves. I don't know, but. Uh, the, uh, you know, like, uh, there definitely is, like, a transformation that has happened, um, and I don't know, yeah, uh, I just think, out, ladies, yeah, uh, good the, luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly, you know, like, I'll just uh, say it's, yeah. it's very complex, it intersects with a lot of, I don't, I don't think it's separate from a lot of other strands that, uh, you know, uh, maybe we're more qualified to talk about like uh, acid freak jam bands or whatever. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, I or axe like, murder you know, cults. Um, yeah, it's uh, peculiar how like uh, one could say it's peculiar how like for instance like now like uh, process like you know or sex work is something that's like valorized as like yes. you know. Uh, I mean that's not like OnlyFans, you know, and things like that. Like, uh, and the, the I think that there are definitely some sus, uh, you know, pushes behind the scenes. Like some of these, uh, you know, not to always bring up Twitter, but these Twitter threads where it's like, oh my god, with OnlyFans, I bought my own house. Like, no, you didn't. Like you're Sigh like you know, they, yeah, they bought you that hat. Like you know, they rented you this empty, barren house for you to take pictures in to like promote that. Like you know, 
And no, it's yeah, dark. It it's is, dark. Like, you know, maybe, like, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe, you know, and like, uh, you know, if you feel differently, uh, ladies uh, who may be listening to this podcast, uh, then by all means. But, uh, you know, it is strange that the discourse has changed so much where, like, you know, it's something that's being, like, you know, uh, so valorized and encouraged, something that makes a lot of money for people uh, who are, like, still really a lot of the time, like, male pornographers, things like that, you know? Yes, like, uh, uh, there's uh, no uh, sure, and, you know, um, like, the, I, yeah, we, we, you, like, I think maybe I've said, like, we could probably do a whole OnlyFans uh, episode, which would, get us like swerf jacketed really hard um, um but like it's i'm uh, sorry it's sus it's sus like it's yeah run by some guy um, who's like he, with his dad who's like a uh i don't know like some private equity guy like it's it's just like uh the model yeah. it's like any it's like any pyramid scheme where like the top three percent of accounts make like you know 50 percent of the money or something like that and then most people end up having to like you know, uh, toil away for like, you know, a hundred dollars a month or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know, like it's just like all these dynamics are it, you know, dystopian and not at the empowering. very least, you know, without making any kind of moral, uh, or, uh, you know, passing any judgment at all. Uh, it is an interesting historical curiosity how like an example, like something that was an example of, uh, you know, the oppression of women, uh, you know, the, the, the peculiar sex-based or, you know, uh, a class, sex as class-based oppression of women at one time has now become something that is almost like a feminist act, uh, you know, like something that has a special role uh, as a feature of what feminists are to advocate for, which is like, you know, uh, uh, you know, prostitution or, or sex work, you know. Uh, yeah, well, yes. you know, they, 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 um, there, there's a lot of trends, like, trying to make that happen. I don't think that's been universally adopted as a feeling, I think, even by millennials and zoomers i i mean Maybe. and i'm not talking about know. i'm not talking about like know. the vilification or the moral condemnation of sex workers but just the entire paradigm of it especially in this kind of mostly unregulated capitalist economy that is increasing precarity yeah that's true to yes, like ever increasing levels fans and it is i did notice it is a bit heartening that i actually did notice sort of a change around in this course around like porn hub for instance like, uh -huh. that's something where, at first, you did kind of see the sort of the levees break in a way. And, like, you know, the like because at first it did seem like, you know, uh, like a voice in the wilderness with the whole, like, thing, you know, criticism of Pornhub. Because they're, like, based woke Pornhub that's, like, yeah, like, you know, chiming in and all these, like, you know, and then you're like no uh -huh. like you're posting videos of like 14 year olds being raped like things like that uh yeah you know and then slowly, it did finally even people, crack like, even people on the left like you know because at first it really was like you know something that people didn't really entertain on the, on the left i think on the, like vague yeah. broadly left area of political discourse it was kind of a no-go zone um <laughs> you know, it was no, kind of no a no-go zone uh, yeah, yeah yeah it was the opposite of a sharia zone um and uh then uh, yeah, like, uh, it did change where there, there did start to be some critique of that, uh, you know, being tolerated, um, you know, uh, so that is one yeah. maybe heartening thing. Um, I mean, it's maybe not that heartening that like, yeah, people were able to, 
you know, overcome, like, a bunch of, like, branding and, like, brainwashing to, like, uh, object to 14-year-olds being raped on camera, <laughs> like... Or, like, uh, revenge but, porn being posted. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, literally um, criminal but, but, criminal content. Um, yeah, but it is... Uh, well, yeah, maybe it's actually disheartening that it took so long and that, you know, maybe it's telling that there was kind of a veneer of, like, no, they are an ally or something, you know? Like, I, I would be interested just to, like... Just, yeah, to, like, I know. I, I would be interested um, just as a, as a final weird tangent, then we should probably move on to the next one, um, that, like... And maybe to dive into like whatever that like weird Canadian holding company is that owns Pornhub and owns like literally kind of like they have like they they have this kind of WWE style like monopoly on like the online porn business. And I know that there were like tons of organized crime connections uh, in places like Florida <clears throat> um, with both like the Italian mafia and like the Russian mafia and like the nineties and the two thousands. And like, it's such a shady business that generates so much money and it's like just controlled by this, like one little weird Canadian company. It's like, I think there's more going on there. There's like <laughs> maybe dark money flows, like uh, who, who the hell like trafficking all kinds of like really bad shit. And I wonder how yeah, the only fans like paradigm is going to Wikipedia right now to look up Pornhub instead of, okay. Google yeah. I very rarely do. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. I know. A homepage in a long time, but I was about to Google like Pornhub and I'm like, wait, that's not going to work. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we'll save yeah. that again. Maybe for like a, uh, uh, yeah, like sus yeah. porn episode or something like that. Um, sus porn. Yeah. Sus porn. Great title. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Number uh, seven. Anyway, so, All right. We're, yeah. we're going to seven. Uh, this uh, is from, okay. this is from Zizix and, um, and they write kind of random, but do you have any thoughts on the Olmecs? I'd never heard anything about them, but I was visiting a park in Villa Hermosa, Mexico, that has at least five of these enormous stone sculpted heads from the pre-Mayan ancient civilization. They are extremely striking in how large and well sculpted they are. Doing some research on it uh, seems to remain unclear where they came from. Do you know anything about that? Sounds like giants, maybe? Uh, yeah, perhaps giants were involved. No, uh, I do think that, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there definitely are a lot of alternative Olmec origin theories. I've definitely heard that, like, you know, African Muslims or something. Like, I don't even think the timeline on that really, like, quite works, because I feel like they were probably before, like, uh, Islam. Yeah. Um, or, like, you know, before Islam proper, obviously, the uh, Adam was Muslim. But, uh, you know, like, yeah, definitely. But I have heard, like, uh, African origin uh, things about the Olmecs and stuff like that. Um uh, you know, so I'm not sure if, I mean, I guess all of humanity, like, is out of Africa in a way, uh, I don't know, like, how much of those, uh, like, alternative origin theories are, like, credited, uh, but, you know, like, if they were, like, a group of African sailors who, like, colonized, uh, you know, directly, or if, you know, rather than, you know, coming the conventional way to, to Mesoamerica, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, uh, you know, like, uh, I remember, like, uh, probably something that isn't taken as seriously now, or probably has a lot of, like, nuanced takes in the actual anthropology, or, like, in the actual, uh, you know, study of it, but I remember the, uh, the wear jaguar, uh, mm -hmm. motif, uh, in Olmec art being a big thing, kind of, uh, uh, paradigm maybe in, in Olmec shamanism, the, the theme of, of sort of jaguar transformation, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of room for interpretation there. And I, uh, I think that that's something that was popular for a while, like, uh, and standard for a while. But probably now at this point, uh, people have been starting to interrogate and look at from uh, different angles. But 
Yeah, I, I had one cab driver once in New York who went on this long talk about the Olmecs. Um, I don't really remember the details of it. It was somehow, it was before 2012, so I think it was related to the sort of Mayan uh, apocalypse okay, yeah. talk that was going on at the time. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Mesoamerica is super fascinating in general, like the, uh, you know, pre-Columbian Mesoamerican civilizations. Uh, yeah. Something that I wish, like, much like, you know, East Asian uh, magic and, and occult and uh, things like that. Uh, uh, like, uh, uh, something I wish I, I knew more about uh, or had studied more. Um, you know, my uh, stuff that I've actually studied formally has been, like, relatively Western, like, uh, Islamic uh, civilization being kind of the most uh, exotic still Western compared to East Asia or pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. But, yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah. like, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, the Olmecs, uh, interesting, uh, yeah, but do I know, I mean, they definitely, they did the, uh, the ball game, the famous, uh, you know, uh, ritual sacrifice ball, ball game, they definitely did some ritual sacrifices of their own, as we talked about, uh, in yeah, past episodes, they did. you know, the they popularity did. of that Mesoamerica, uh, maybe I'm some, looking at... Uh, drug um, I, stuff was involved yeah i'm uh i'm yeah yeah yeah. i'm looking at the olmec heads right now and it's like it is quite impressive like how detailed and kind of realistic they are like how mm-hmm. and some of them honestly i'm looking at colossal head eight and colossal head 10 almost looks like they're wearing space helmets <laughs> or like almost oh, like a kind of like a almost like a like a tron helmet that's a whole other angle kind. i assume that this last question was like in saying it's unclear where they came from i was thinking oh maybe this is a nod to the idea of the um you know alternative origin sort of african sailor theory but yeah maybe they were ancient aliens uh yeah i think i <laughs> have seen some of the Yes, uh, right, yeah, I've seen some of these wear jaguar heads, uh, in this gallery here, um, like, uh, yeah, uh, interesting looking, yes, very, uh, very scary, yeah, I could definitely see how these might be interpreted as being jaguars, and some of them maybe are less obviously jaguars, uh, so I feel like there's, there's definitely one that I can see the, could just be kind of a, looks a little bit like he's wearing a kufi, though, uh, this guy, could Mm. be, like, just your standard, prayer cap that he's wearing uh you know um yeah i uh, yeah Um, it's uh pretty interesting i'd like to i'd like to dig that dig back more into olmec uh olmec culture or olmec civilization yeah uh, yeah i guess you know yeah these colossal heads are very impressive and uh yeah i mean i guess uh yeah it is fascinating when you contemplate like uh the age of of these civilizations and of course this is like a very long-lived civilization like uh you know there's a there's a long uh, span of time uh during which the olmecs uh existed like you know something like 800 years uh Mm. yeah uh 800 years um uh uh, and these yeah these heads are saying even longer like uh 2500 to 400 bc um but, wow! Uh, so yeah. two thousand um, years. Uh, the heads are supposedly from roughly what nine hundred BC. Yeah. So That's, almost you know, three thousand. Like, almost yeah, nine hundred BC. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about like the you know three thousand uh, years. 
how long ago, like, uh, you know, these, these things were, and yeah, like, the, uh, it's amazing when you contemplate, like, you know, the, the thoughts and, and the imaginations and what these, uh, you know, different civilizations were engaged in, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating subject, but do I, uh, have any real thoughts other than that about the Olmecs? I wish, uh, but, like, uh, nothing, like, too substantial, but, yeah, there's I really would a fascinating be... subject, um, and definitely something that has been of interest for people because they're, I guess, the oldest, like, big Mesoamerican civilization that we know of. So, you know, I feel like for people who are into, like, uh, sort of any kind of ancient astronaut or any kind of, like, you know, uh, giant or anything like, like that, you know, that's obviously going to be an inflection point because, like, you know, what happened? where this all started, et cetera, uh, you know. It's also, it's, uh, uh, on a much more trivial note, it's interesting that, you know, I think some people, certain millennials remember the very popular Nickelodeon game show from the 90s, The Legends of the Hidden Temple, that had a colossal head named Olmec, who was, oh. like, kind of basically <laughs> the host, the host of the show, and they would run yes. through a haunted, uh, booby-trap-filled temple it really like it, it could have been executive produced by michael aquino i mean like when yes. you go back and think about it it had a very spooky like the temple guard would jump out and like a the scary mask and, were weird and they would always yeah. be kind of grabbing yeah yeah um, grabbing you shrine, yeah it had a, a silver monkey yeah oh yeah shrine of the silver right. monkey exactly mm-hmm. um but yeah uh that uh you know what what was nickelodeon you know uh trying were to they sending, to yeah, there? Were they I don't seeding know. something some predictive programming having to do with all uh yeah i don't know if dan schneider produced that show that'll be terrifying that'll terrify me um but you know it's that's for probable. another day uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah no they're like 80 percent <laughs> um, of the shows uh were dan schneider yeah um, um right anyways yeah, um uh, word yeah all uh yeah fascinating but, fascinating uh, we're naive when it comes to that subject unfortunately uh yes. yeah i mean and cool. yeah okay word but uh Hopefully not forever, yeah i mean if but... anyone out there is an undergrad and making decisions about what to do uh being into the olmecs like wouldn't uh be the, the worst choice that you know uh there's also this interesting like hi- hieroglyph uh sort of alphabets and things and the mesoamerican cultures like uh you know just the nahuatl the aztec language is fascinating uh you know, there's so much stuff, but I mean, maybe it's a bit problematic if you're not like, uh, uh, that, well, you know, in academia now you might get some pushback, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, like, uh, it's a, it's a minefield, but yeah. Sure. Um, so <laughs> okay. yeah. Anyway. Um, All right. So yeah. Uh, let's go to number eight. Watch Mojo 420. Um, again, um, they ask either of you read the comic book martial law. That's like, M-A-R-S-H-A-L, law. Mm-hmm. That shit rocked. Goes into Operation Condor, MK Ultra Shock Doctrine. Um, did you ever read this comic? Nope, uh, I did not. Uh, mm. hmm, it came out in 1987, so yeah, that was a little before I was born. Um, and yeah, I've never actually heard of it prior to this question. Once again, another kind of whiff here, unfortunately. But uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article now. Um, it seems a bit intriguing. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing... Martial law here. I guess it's a spoof. It's kind of like a Judge Dredd type thing. Making uh, fun of, of Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. Yeah. Okay. Word. I'm down for that. Um, it um it it sounds a little bit like uh well you know a little in the vein of like Watchmen but also like The Boys which I have not watched um and also there was there was a comic I stumbled across um a few years ago called The American 
which is from like, also from 1987, which was like a parody of Iran Contra um, mm-hmm. and superheroes in general, where there was like a genetically created super soldier who found out that the government was like, I don't know, sponsoring death squads or something. And, uh, and like, it turns out that he like, sounds like a more realistic take on Captain America. I feel like even maybe it was in our last Q and a, we talked about how, like, it didn't really make any sense that Captain America was like some white dude. Like, you know, uh, if they were going to do experiments with drugs, like it would probably be on black people first at that time. Uh, you know, it seems almost like, both this comic martial law and what you're describing are sort of like, you know, uh, maybe more realistic or cynical takes on, on that same concept behind the popular hero Cap, who is now all over our pop culture, uh, whose origins, of course, that he's like at a, you know, government experiment with some kind of uh, serum to turn you into a, an MK killbot, you know, or yeah. uh, I don't know, base hero. Some of this, I am just reading through a little bit of this. It does sound kind of interesting. There's a character named Don Don Matrione, which is actually going to... Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's just go into number nine because it's, like, kind of related. By Bad Back Jack, who chimed in and Mm -hmm. said, uh, my dad read one of mine one day, 90-91, and was like, you know that was a real guy, right? You ever heard of Dan Mitrione? Gave me the whole rundown, minus the Jim Jones connection. I would definitely uh, love to hear SJ touch upon Operation Condor and possible ties to other things discussed. Um, and thanks again for the rather thorough responses to the last batch of questions. Um, well, we are always thorough. Um, yes, definitely. <laughs> so Thank you for the um, questions. Yes. Yeah, so I um, guess like there's, there's a lot of like reference to kind of like Iran-Contra, Operation Condor, conspiracies um in the martial law series i guess like this character is a vigilante and old acquaintance of martial law from his time in the military he was a torture technician who was employed by the cia to prop up several south american dictatorships which were friendly to america his family was assassinated by vengeful revolutionaries who had tracked him back to america in his grief matrion was driven insane and after hearing a speech by the public spirit came to believe all his problems were the result of foreigners and members of the counterculture, refusing to believe himself to be at fault for anything and thus developing a persecution complex. He then became the persecutor, a violent neo-Nazi <laughs> vigilante who kills minorities and left-leaning Americans that he blames for all the country's ills, regardless of whether or not they're committing a crime. Wow. Okay. Uh, he was hounded by martial law in martial law takes Manhattan for killing Hispanic protesters and checks himself into a maximum security superhero asylum to try and escape him. Um, Wow, uh, that actually sounds. I mean, that's very similar to Dan Mitrione, except that he was kidnapped by um, the uh, I think the Venceremos um, uh, leftists, uh, and uh, I think in Uruguay, and which mm-hmm. is uh, documented very dramatically in the uh, Costa Gavras movie *State of Siege*. Good, uh, big, big wreck on that movie. It's pretty good. But also, yeah, um, that he was like, uh, he would teach, you know, these various like right wing uh, dictatorships down in South America how to torture people. That's portrayed in State of Siege. And uh, he finally got what was coming to him. He did not come back to America and become a neo Nazi vigilante, but that's pretty funny. Um, the persecutor. Um, <laughs> like, basically, uh, it sounds like the Punisher, right? A little uh, bit. Yeah, it's like a. It's like is. if Dan Mitrione became the Punisher, or like Chris Kyle yes. became the Punisher. Yeah, um, it seems like a parody of that. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I guess this is the. 
Oh, is this the only question that mentions Operation Condor? Uh, maybe some people I, were talking about it in the did some, chat in general, Yeah, somebody else yeah. asked about Jones. Oh, this actually, wow, these questions, I think they were all playing off each other. Um, so I think we, let's just jump quickly to 10 um, by Ossificans. I hope I said that right. What's the take on Jonestown and the very real possibility of it being an MK op? Well. Hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would say that it was definitely like in part an MK op uh, for sure. That's Mm -hmm. one of those things that I feel like is relatively like uh, established in a way. Um, Like there were like there are just like too many connections there that are, like, a little bit uh, suspicious vis-a-vis Jim Jones. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, his, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to, like, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the, like, uh, what was the... Uh, well, his friendship that? with Dan Mitrione, the guy we were just yeah. talking about, for one, right, uh, and, like, visiting yeah. him when Mitrione was down in Brazil. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Right. Uh, I don't know. There's so much with Jim Jones. Like, I mean, I think that, uh, I think like, I don't know. Like the, yeah, I think definitely there were like ops within ops going on with Jonestown. And, mm-hmm. uh, we definitely want to do like the a whole thing was like underwritten by like, uh, you know, <laughs> Rosalind Carter met with him on multiple occasions. Uh, yes. Willie Brown served as national master of ceremonies, the large testimonial dinner for him attended by Governor oh, yeah, yeah. Brown. Like, the whole colony was, like, sort of, like, a underwritten by uh, the U.S. The San government, Francisco... Right? Like the whole, yeah. Oh, well, like, I don't I don't know about the U.S. government, but, like, like definitely, like, the San Francisco power, like, the Democratic machine in San Francisco, like, everybody was basically down with, like, Jim Jones, I think, from, like, Dianne Feinstein mm-hmm. um, to George Moscone, the mayor, and then, like, even some national figures, like you said, like, Rosalind Carter, um... And uh, I think Har- uh, I, I think Harvey Milk maybe at one point. Oh, and Willie Brown, of course, who like kind of tried to like low key distance himself from it. Um, but also like Angela Davis, like a lot of really left wing people were kind of vibing with the People's Temple because we kind of it or sometimes it gets sort of like jumbled. But like you know, it was like a very left wing. He, yeah, he was like spouted the a lot of social justice warrior uh right like uh you in know, a way uh, i remember in a way. like uh when people like i remember one time like people walked out he was like and noticed who had left it was all the white people or whatever you know like something like that like uh yeah like uh oh yeah no he like, could he could really rail against like yeah like uh you know white supremacy and things like that yeah, and i think that was part of his whole grift uh for sure yeah but um yeah, uh, I feel like I had, uh, I don't know, maybe this is just my immersion and, like, the my over-immersion in the conspiracy world, but I feel like I do remember reading that, like, uh, they were, like, substantive. Maybe it was just, like, that the San Francisco, like, you know, within San Francisco circles, he had raised money that well, was sustaining him, but I felt like there was, like, some kind of intel, like, support happening for Jonestown itself. Um, uh, there may have, there very well may have been some kind of government support though. He was getting 
he started to get in trouble with uh, uh, basically the families of some people who had gone down there and then like wouldn't come back and uh, allegations that, you know, he was holding people against their will and things like that. There was also a very strange flirtation that he had with the Soviet embassy in British Guiana and almost to the point, this is another wrinkle I'd love to like explore more in depth was I think there were some, I forget if it was statements by like Soviet officials or it was just in the Soviet press in the eighties after Jonestown happened where they alleged that Jonestown was not a mass suicide, but that mercenaries and like green berets like came out of the jungle and murdered yeah. everybody and then made it look okay. like a, which I do think is possible that like most of those people were murdered. I, I don't quite, I don't believe that most of them willingly like drank cyanide or whatever. Um, uh, there's a lot of evidence that, that to support that, but they were saying like the Soviet line on it in like the eighties was that these people were like a radical, like progressive left wing, like religious organization that was being persecuted simply for like advocating for freedom for its, you know, congregants and to live like in a socialist commune together. And they were being persecuted. And because they had reached out, I guess they, they had talked to the Soviets, like or approached them and been like, can you give us like a plot of land, like in the middle of the USSR where we can like build a commune. And I guess the Soviets were at least like entertaining them on that front. And so the Soviets were thinking like, Oh, because they reached out to us, like the, the military and the CIA massacred them all because that would be like a, a huge blow to the prestige of America to have like all these Americans like move to the USSR, which like I could understand their perspective, but I feel like that's missing a, a lot of like the inside baseball of like Jim Jones's CIA connections and the kind of like mind control concentration camp vibes of Jonestown that a lot of people described. Right. Yes. So I don't know. Um, did they did did yeah. they sigh up the Soviets into thinking that Jim Jones was for real? Hmm. Yeah. And I then mean, made them maybe, look bad. Like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this month might be time for the Jim Jones episode because we have come back to it a fair amount, and it is one of those things that uh, you know uh, always comes up. Uh, and I guess, like, you know, or one of those, uh, you know, uh, standby conspiracy topics. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, uh, maybe this is, uh, you know, like, uh, maybe his link to the U.S. Embassy is, it's been a while since I read, like, any Jonestown content. Yeah, um, but, and there's yeah. kind of layers. Uh, there's, like, Mark Lane, who is kind of, a, you know, was, like, a JFK researcher, and, um, and but then also was, like, kind of, sus. I think he was a lawyer for Jonestown, and, like, was kind of, mm -hmm. a lot of people thought he was sus after all this stuff went down. Like, there's a, the San Diego State University, like, hosts kind of, like, a website that has a lot of this, uh, kind of writing about, you know, sort of Jonestown conspiracy um and, and things like that which uh i've always found kind of like fascinating but then uh there's a few other things one of the uh, chapters of the evidence of revision documentary which you can still find on archive.org and youtube mm -hmm. which is really great uh i think the final chapter is about jonestown and uh just by using like news report footage and the contradictions of like the story you know it, it paints a pretty uh bizarre and chilling picture um but yeah maybe we will do it uh this month because he's 
yeah, he's an instructive and bizarre. There's a lot of holes you can poke in that case. I think it like it really doesn't. Uh, the official yeah. narrative really doesn't hold up if you start digging deep into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess <clears throat> kind of paired to that, uh, the next question from Lou, number 11, is there a chaos mm-hmm. episode coming in the near future? Uh, yes. Another, yes, MK-related thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if we'll be We're kind of intertwined in a way. Itself, we could, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, we could do an episode on the book itself, uh, discussing it. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot there, you know, we could uh, hash out, like, some of the debates around it. Um, Yeah, we were recently talking uh, with uh, someone from uh, LA Magazine about, like, some, uh, yeah, about uh, uh, the uh, Feral House. Uh, We'll see if he uh, ends up using any of our uh, statements, but, uh, you know, shout out Mm -hmm. uh, if he's listening. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he mentioned that he felt that, uh, I feel like the book had a fair amount of time, but I guess, like, uh, he felt that in general, maybe, like, in the world of, like, some little jihad listeners, uh, and us. It like, looms it like large. But, yeah, yeah like, uh, he felt like it got kind of buried, uh, due to the density of the book, so maybe, uh, you know, it might be good to, to, to Yeah, maybe a little. I mean, I think it has a ton yeah. of valuable information, uh, but there are little things about it now that kind of make me think, like, uh, just like any other book, because it did make a certain splash, and it has a certain cachet mm-hmm. now. It's like, you know, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time, like, with his, like, CIA mm-hmm. buddy that goes on all the time. Um, uh, what and, does the CIA uh, buddy have to say about it? Like, uh, it's like, well, he, you know, well, yeah, he, uh, he, he concedes that, like, something might have been going on, but, like, you yeah. know, we, we'll probably uh, never know, and, like, you know, and that, that, that's just, you know, he, he, I don't trust a word that guy says, but, uh, but it does have a certain penetration, especially in the kind of like, I don't know, the, this sort of like intellectual dark web of like podcasters that all seem to be connected to Peter Thiel because I heard recently on one of the recent interviews, uh, on Brett Easton Ellis's podcast that he brought up chaos and how he had just read it and how it kind of blew his mind and like made him, you know, rethink everything he ever, you know, thought about the Manson murders and all this stuff. Uh, but then, you know, shortly after reading it, he got invited to a dinner held in Tom O'Neill's honor at Peter Thiel's house in the Hollywood Hills. And, you know, it's like, okay, Peter Thiel, like, what are you doing? Like cozying up to not, not to not to overstretch it there, you know, that, oh, Tom O'Neill is sus because he's hanging out with mm-hmm. Peter Thiel. But, you know, you got the Weinstein brothers who are like have their own kind of media profile and they're connected to other people. And uh, they I guess they all like uh, they all liked chaos. They all like talking about how Charles Manson was an MK Ultra experiment gone right. Um, and they're all working with like hanging out with the Palantir guy. So like, uh I don't know what exactly or who to make of that, but I guess, you know, maybe it's like Larry Flint publishing, um, you know, conspiracy stuff about JFK and a hustler in the seventies. Like, you know, um, you always have to take, you know, even these like very good things that have a lot of information with them, uh, with like a kind of, uh, a, a certain grain of salt, a little bit of caution. But sense. yeah, I think that we could like, uh, yeah, we could definitely go both ways on it. We don't have to just do a book report, but we could like discuss maybe some of the, uh, problems that exist. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, like, uh, two ways to take it, for sure. But, yeah, maybe. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, I agree with the general, like, conclusions of the book. I guess I'll say yeah. that much, is that I think it's generally, it's way, you know, compared to, like, like Helter Skelter should be thrown out of, you know, libraries and, like, bookstores. It should be, like, banned, honestly. Like, it's, it's <laughs> like, talk about, like, disinfo. Like, that thing psyoped an entire, like, generations of people into thinking, like, this is what happened, and now, like, I think, you know, people should read Chaos if they want to know. And then maybe Quentin Tarantino couldn't get away with, like, making some tacky, like, fantasy ripoff, uh, Yeah, I was like, wondering retcon. if I never watched that movie, I just remember everyone talking about it. And, like, I, you know, just did not have much interest. But, yeah, I was wondering if that, because that was another, like, big explosion of Manson into the popular culture. And I was wondering if that gave any nod to the sort of chaos narrative of it, but I guess not a single, not a single like subtle idiomotor gesture, uh, much less a nod was given to like the chaos narrative. It, in fact, Mm -hmm. it like reified and reinforced the fake helter skelter story by deviating from it and creating this like alternate fantasy ending where like Leo and Brad Pitt, like beat the shit out of these, like, bitches and then like set them on yeah, fire and then save the day these, yeah these yeah loser <laughs> liberals who won't show their feet and stuff you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know like, yeah uh, yeah it was yeah. extremely um, annoying aggravating and kind of like the fact that people just kind of went with it like cool whatever it just like it added the, it added this layer where nobody was even talking about the depiction of real life because he like didn't even bother to show real life but in doing so it kind of you know that that only has resonance if you hold like the helter skelter you know traditional narrative in your head of like oh that was such a tragedy and what a senseless crime by these psychos controlled by Manson. You know what I mean? It's like if you have the chaos thing in your mind, you watch what Tarantino did and you say, like, this is obscene. This is ridiculous and obscene. This is like a, a man playing with action figures. Like, like uh, what yeah. a man child I mean, playing with action figures. From the description of it, again, I didn't see it because I didn't really have much interest, but uh you know from the descriptions of it it just seemed like kind of like this weird like reactionary like sort of fantasia like sort of borderline complaining about how like i don't know like about how uma thurman like said that he was abusive or whatever or like you know pc culture like has ruined hollywood or something like and uh, yeah yeah no definitely that's the energy of that Uh, that's the energy of the finale in like a very over the top way and i guess people kind of like fell for it It went down easy in some way and people fell for it um but you know that that might be the last ditch effort they have to like stop people from really like reevaluating the manson case on a mass scale because then it opens like pandora's box to like all these other things that were going on and then i don't know if like the narrative of the 60s ever gets like on ontologically undermined in like a major way does that have consequences does it matter maybe i don't know Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to undermine part of the canon you know uh and let that cat out of the bag so i don't know um always is always
get into uh, Greta. I did find one uh, interesting Jim Jones tidbit while I was looking for some of the stuff that was in my brain uh, relative to that uh, from the MIT in 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, they On December 4th, they published uh, an article, uh, Cult Leader's Paper Indicate Links to U.S. Embassy, which I think uh, might have been uh, something that uh, I had encountered at one point. Uh, and there's like uh, the first paragraphs uh, have like some such implications. Uh, uh, senior aides of the cult leader, Jim Jones, maintained much closer relationships with the United States Embassy consular officials in Georgetown, Guana, than has so far been officially acknowledged, Mr. Jones' personal papers indicate. The papers acquired by the Associated Press indicate that one United States official promised to, quote, discreetly find out who within the embassy was spreading rumors questioning Mr. Jones' religious beliefs. They also show that the embassy compi- complied with the vehement requests of Mr. Jones' aides for advanced lists of Jonestown residents whose relatives had asked the embassy to investigate the commune. The personal mm. papers from Jonestown make it clear that the intention of getting the names in advance was to fully brief the subjects before the American officials arrived in Jonestown. The United States State Department has said that in 75 interviews by consular officials with, the pe- with People's Temples members in Jonestown, no evidence was uncovered of repression or of people wanting to leave the community. Uh, oh, it goes okay. on to talk about the links with Richard McCoy, uh, the U.S. consul there. I guess in the official inquiry, like, the embassy in Juana did take, like, the biggest hits. Uh, uh, well, yeah, also, name. like, Richard yeah. Dwyer uh, Richard Dwyer was the big figure who was there just before the massacre happened, and there is an audio recording uh, of Jim Jones saying, I believe it was after the team went and killed Congressman Leo Ryan, like, gunned down the people at the airstrip, that mm-hmm. he was saying, uh, get Dwyer the hell out of here before, like, something happens to him. Or something like that. Something along the lines of like it's not going to be safe uh, for whatever's happening, and like, but that means that contrary to what Dwyer later said, that he uh, he because well, he was with the group that was at the airstrip, and uh, in the evidence revision documentary, you even see it points out how he just seems to like casually break away from the crowd, <laughs> like in the exact moments before the shooting happens. And I guess that 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 audio of Jim Jones saying that is evidence that he went back to Jonestown after the after they gunned down everybody. So yeah, like it, you was know, the one guy who didn't get it bad when they actually did the official uh, inquiry. Uh, the one guy and, who like, yeah. kind of was praised for his conduct was Richard Dwyer, whereas and Dwyer like, and, and Dwyer was the CIA yeah. station chief of Guyana at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, so uh, uh, so there's that. There's a lot with Jim Jones, um, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty uh, yeah. controversial. Mm-hmm. Some some there's a lot of very stuff. yeah sus yeah. Going there's on. something there's something going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, okay. Can so, get anyways, into Greta uh, now. Yes. Yeah. So, question twelve from Trolley Snatcher. Uh, do you want to read? Uh, it's a kind yeah, of a sure. multi part, but uh, yeah, you want to read that? Yes. It is broken up into parts. What do you make of the climate justice slash Green New Deal moment in general, uh, movement in general, and its figurehead, 17-year-old, made up to look 12 years old, Greta Thunberg in particular? I wouldn't have said, I mean, I guess she does look young, then again, I'm old, so I don't necessarily, like, you know, uh, all people, like, under 20 look the same to me, but uh, I definitely wouldn't have guessed if she was 17. Bonus query about Extinction Rebellion, if you're familiar with this outfit. Uh, I guess we can tackle that one first, maybe. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. 
because there's several parts here that aren't necessarily related uh, in yes. uh, question 12. The uh, next from, ones, yeah. Here. For um, sure. But, but those first ones, uh, I am... Uh, over the last, like, two years, I became increasingly sussed out by all of these things, by, like, the climate justice movement, the Green New Deal. Extinction and Rebellion is pretty most sus, of all. I think. Like, you know, uh, yeah, like, the whole... And also, I feel like the whole idea of extinction as a result of the climate is not really, like, the scientific consensus, even. Uh, this is an extinction-level threat. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if someone out there is a scientist and they want to, like, uh, take an issue with that, like, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, of course, everyone, you know, uh, the consensus definitely is that it's, like, a bad and real problem, but the idea that this is, like, you know, we're facing extinction from this, you know, I mean, I guess being alarmist isn't the worst thing when there is, like, something definitely to be alarmed about, but it's, it's a lot, uh, and also just, like, the way that they, like, their actions of, like, they're almost, like, you know, uh, hard to to root for like you know disrupting people's like commute or whatever you know oh that uh, video that video from east london uh, where the people basically just dragged them off the train and beat like beat the crap out of them uh well the guy tried to like kick somebody who was like you know they were like get off you fucking soda (laughs) like you know they were yeah yeah. (laughs) like they were so and that was that was it in a nutshell like all this like weird like burning man interpretive dance shit like in the middle of the streets like it was so cringe uh, on just yes. an aesthetic and like attitudinal level it wasn't and then if you scratch beneath the surface of the ideology or the like non-ideology that extinction rebellion had it was like the typical kind of green ngo anarcho-liberal sort of model that like operates in like this like it reminded me a lot of like the very worst impulses that were present during Occupy with like horizontalism, but also yeah. it's connected to like this big NGO network, which um, I actually just brought up because I tweeted I I made, I made a thread about this last year um, from October first, and uh, I just want to read like a couple of these because just to remind myself also um, this was. Uh, I tweeted a Getty, a Kennedy, and a CIA-connected Bill Gates protege walk into a, quote, radical climate movement. And I was referring to uh, how Rory Kennedy, the daughter of RFK Jr., um, or no, I think just RFK, uh, Eileen Getty, the daughter of J.P. Getty Jr., uh, famous, you know, uh, patron of the pod, uh, and Trevor Nielsen promised in July 2019 to steer tens of millions of dollars in wealthy donations to Extinction Rebellion and Greta's school strike movement. And Extinction Rebellion, according to a quote here, has welcomed the funding. They said, quote, it's a signal we're coming to the tipping point. In the past, philanthropy has often been about personal interest, but now people are realizing that we're all in this together and putting their money forward for a collective well-being. Ooh, radical. But then... I started looking into Trevor Nielsen, like one of these three guys who's teaming up with a Getty and a Kennedy and right on like his business bio, you know, he runs the global philanthropy group. How nice. Uh, he also co-founded Threat Pattern with a group of former officers from the Central Intelligence Agency. Threat Pattern uses innovative intelligence and counterintelligence strategies to protect corporate assets and brands. Trevor is an active private investor and serves as a board member or advisor to a number of companies, including Rising Holdings, EnviroBoard, RYOT, and the Family Office Exchange Private Investor Council. 
Earlier in his career, Trevor served as executive director of the Global Business Coalition, which is focused on global health issues and was created with investments from Bill Gates, George Soros, and Ted Turner. <laughs> GBC, Trevor reported to Ambassador Richard Holbrook, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and President Obama's former Special Representative for Afghanistan and Pakistan. Prior to that, Trevor worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, both in their family office and as Director of Special Projects and Director of Public Affairs for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Trevor served in the White House during the Clinton administration. Um, so, uh, that guy is coming in to sprinkle rich people money on Extinction Rebellion and they absolutely loved it and welcomed the funding. Um, and ran the, was the director of special projects, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, he also revolutionized the trend of recruiting Hollywood celebrities as, quote, ambassadors for various, like, you know, NGO causes, um, which was kind of, like, ripped into in a 2012 article in The New Yorker, The New Boom in Celebrity Philanthropy. Um, and, you know, basically, like, uh, yeah, one of the co-founders, the ex-CIA guy, uh, talking about threat patterns, says he said, quote, we're like a specialized threat operations center, strategic communications task force, and think tank for our clients, all synchronized and rolled into one. Um, so, like, this guy is going to save the planet from climate change. And uh, yeah, I like the thing about XR police and XR landlords, like the, <laughs> you know, Extinction Rebellion yeah, yeah. landlord uh, factions. Yeah, it was, uh, it got a yikes from me and was not a good look, like, you know, very, uh, very bourgeois, like very uh, middle class uh, sort of like uh, performative activism, the whole like uh, tube disruption videos that, uh, you know, the tube disruption videos that uh were circulating around uh just you know in uh in addition to the the more substantive uh critiques you know you can definitely see the uh the 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 mentality of the uh of the money also kind of uh expressing itself uh you know not that uh like the the general thing you know maybe has something to it but yeah obviously there's there's definitely something sus about Extinction Rebellion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. and they were, yeah, they were, like, paying their organizers uh, 400 pounds a week while soliciting money from, quote, high net worth individuals. Um, and, you know, basically one of their big influences, and they screened a documentary about this guy, and I remember I first heard about him during Occupy was Gene Sharp, who's basically, like, a State Department CIA guy who, you know, uh, you know basically organized... Um, like the, the he synthesized the sort of tactics uh, of like quote unquote color revolution for like nonviolent uh, civil disobedience to overthrow like authoritarian governments. But this thing, which was like sold back in America as like this cool, groovy uh, protest handbook for radicals, you know, was used like all around the world as kind of like a CAA State Department uh, playbook to you know, topple, uh, you know, I think it was first used uh, in connection with Otpor in uh, Yugoslavia in the 1990s um, and has popped up like uh, in, you know, Maidan um, and in parts of the Arab Spring and it popped up in Occupy too. Like there was a lot of standing of Gene Sharp. So to see XR like 10 years after that almost uh, playing Gene Sharp documentaries, talking about horizontalism, um, yeah. 
it's just like, come on, like this is ridiculous. It feels like such such a op and not even a particularly, you know, a savvy op. Like this is the warmed over leftover. This is the reheated leftovers of every failed kind of uh, fill in the blank justice movement of the last 40 years, which has accomplished very little um, except maybe provide some like, you know, useful distractions or divert certain energies so that like, you know, neoliberalism can build out and uh, break down all the barriers, uh, et cetera. Um, Well, we've seen, yeah, we've seen the same thing unfold with, I mean, I feel like our earlier conversation, our like very cancel worthy conversation about abolishing the family, et cetera, like is similar where like there are social movements that emerge that are meant to address like systemic problems that are real. Like for instance, like the way that like the planet has been ravaged by like, you know, uh, oil companies and, like, uh, you know, the sort of heedless uh, disregard for the health of the environment, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. on the part of, like, these massive uh, multinational corporations. And then, like, you know, you see, like, within the blink of an eye, like, that stuff becomes co-opted into a way where, like, and I think a lot of people get whiplash, and I think that it's, uh, you know, very dizzying and can't, they can't, like, you know, it takes a while to start to distinguish between something that felt like sort of authentic or something that uh, was a real, like, you know, felt like a real genuine response to something that all of a sudden is just like being, uh, you know, is coming at you from all angles from the very people who were originally supposed to be criticized. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has this magic. It has this incredible way, which I think we've seen it in some of the sort of like social reactions to dealing with like, you know, the coronavirus pandemic a little bit where um, it basically um, like like the the responsibility and the sanction and like the pressure always gets like boomerang back onto the individual, but not like the individual at the very top who like has most of the power and the money and controls things. It's like the, the common individual. So everything becomes about like, you're not doing uh, like basically, you know, okay, so climate change like has often fallen into like this trap where like a bunch of noise uh, gets, you know, sort of kicked up about it. And then it becomes like, okay, we're going to ban like plastic bags or like, you know, we're going to start charging individuals that don't bring their own plastic bag to the grocery store. Like they do that in LA and or, you know, uh, places like London are like, we're going to put like a carbon tax on cars to like basically you know, sort of like socially engineer raise the cost for you know regular people to be able to like drive on you know the highways uh you know into the big city or whatever and you've seen like michael bloomberg talk about like how great it would be if new york could do that and maybe they already have to some extent but you know that kind of thing where it's like it always gets spun back around to like uh like basically the solution is that all of you have to do a little tiny thing that probably won't amount to like a systemic impact but like then by getting everybody, which I guess has an appeal because everybody feels like they're part of like this struggle, you know, like, uh, like we're all in this together. Like I got my reusable bag, you know? Um, but then, you know, when things don't change, then the blame can be sort of like flipped from, you know, instead of, uh, criticism trending back to where it should be in the first place, which is like these multinational corporations and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, billionaires. Um, it gets spun back to like your neighbor isn't doing their part enough. So you should hate them. Yeah. 
Uh, you could be I then see. that, and then it's a short step to like Kurt Eichenwald wanting to like uh, found a death squad and go around hunting people who aren't wearing masks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like yeah, literally, he that, tweeted like, that he wants to kill them. Yeah, that he wanted to kill them. Yeah, I saw that side by side by Harrison about him. Like he made like an anti-mask post early on about like how irresponsible it was to wear a mask, and then he made that like homicidal post about people who not wearing masks. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah, but I think, and I think that, like, uh, it becomes, like, it's almost like a branding strategy as well, where, like, it's something that grabs people's attention and people have a positive association with because people want to save the environment, which is natural. Like, people yeah. don't feel good about destroying the earth. But then at a certain point, like, the actual action of doing anything about it, like, doesn't materialize. And what does materialize is just a bunch of, like, you know, uh, like the same way where like, you know, using a certain song or a certain vibe or like that Pepsi commercial with, uh, one of the Kardashian slash Jenners, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and the protest or whatever, yeah. like the way, like, you know, you can just say something about the environment and that like, you know, even if people can kind of see through it in the moment, it still creates an impression in your mind. And that's like the level at which a lot of this stuff is operating on. And you can see that, you know, in our dark winter episode, you can see how that is something that functions for, like, Davos, you know, like, to, uh, like, promote these new initiatives for, like, ways to know, uh, new, uh, modes of economic capture, you know, if they're, uh, yeah. sort of dressed up as, uh, in the language that, uh, of this thing that everyone cares about, the environment, you know, they're that much more appealing, but do they actually do anything? Like, that's a whole other question. Probably not. Like, uh, what we can definitely establish is that, like, they, use this to make themselves more appealing uh to sell yeah. themselves but yes. like you know is that uh yeah and i think that the whole greta thing is like a whole other can of worms i feel like, yeah it is uh there's a whole like social phenomenon around like the uh like valorization of this like young child as like the you know the the hero of this movement and you can kind of see that with some of the parkland kids and stuff like the whole idea yes, of like yeah you know absolutely. let's look to the very children. similar like it's just and like, you can't yeah, criticize you know, them or uh, else you are like yelling at a child how how as as she would say how dare you yes um i mean yeah that is kind of like a uh, a type of theater where of course it's much more powerful to have the stakes enacted in front of you where you see like this child you know, uh, who's like, who looks, you know, uh, maybe to, again, really, I couldn't tell you, like, if she, uh, you know, if, uh, Trolley Snatch's kind of implication that she's, uh, made up to no, look younger I, than No, no, it's true, it's true. I saw a but picture like, of her uh, recently with, like, Bono and all these other famous people, and she's, like, very tiny, and, like, like, I don't know, it just, like, she, it, it, I think it, it helps, it helps the cause, even though I think she just turned well, 18. Well, yeah, it's definitely um, true. But, well, yeah, like, you know, the younger she looks, and I, I myself, like, wouldn't have, like, the, it, do the discourse around her. I mean, I guess she's been a figure for a while, so maybe she has been around since, I really, like, I, I honestly about two years, I think. Person the scene. Really, so she's been around since she was, I guess, maybe, 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's true. About, about 16. I, I do get the... She does seem younger than that, even like she seems like a child when really she's like a young adult, a teen, you know, a teen. Yeah, um, I mean, but have, uh, you know, yeah, uh, I, if anybody, sort of I mean, I, I think a lot of people, maybe some listeners would have read some of the uh, the articles by Corey Morningstar from like uh, a lot of them from last year, Corey from 2019. Morningstar. Is that his real name? 
Uh, it might be a she. I forget. They. I'm just. I'll okay. play it safe. They. Uh, I. I forget. Um. But I. I think they had a website wrong kind of green that was kind of dedicated to digging up a lot of this stuff and, and like there's a lot of like very long articles but they do make a very convincing case of the evidence that like even just the origin story of like like Greta Thunberg just like walked out on a street one day because she got so mad about like the climate and held up a sign and then like somebody just happened like it was a Pepsi commercial or something like somebody just happened to like walk by and see her sign and was like who's this girl and it turns out that like this had to have been orchestrated from the beginning because I think like her mom's friend is like the head of a huge like environmental NGO in Sweden and like had been planning some kind of like climate project and like, but it's, it's very, it just feels like it's so obviously, but almost like the willfulness of people to buy into it. And then to be, um, I, I kind of clocked something weird going on where like these adults, these like good liberal adults who are like now suddenly like worried about climate change, to like a very you know heightened degree um because of all these quote movements you know kind of coming out uh they almost like kind of relished getting like yelled at by her like yeah it, definitely it, it, yeah and at the risk of like um i don't mean this in like a an actual like a like sex work way and uh i don't think i do at least but it had like a findom vibe to it of like you're a dirty little pig like you're ruining the earth for me and my generation like you suck give me money and like that i'm not saying that's like kind of you know uh what she was thinking uh, in her yeah, head um, but it's like it had this certain attitude for like not just to like shut down people who might criticize her with you know the preemptive things of like hey she's autistic she's a child how dare you like you know she's just worried about you know that the earth you know dying and nobody's doing anything about it and this kind of a like vague radical uh really more just like style than even the rhetoric itself like your fairy tales of eternal economic growth like that that could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, a, that's a vague economic criticism, which I wouldn't expect a 16 year old to have, you know, really sophisticated politics anyways, but people are obviously like writing speech or helping her write these speeches. Like this wasn't, I don't know, but the, the willingness of people to believe that it was like organic and natural because I mean, like it yeah. felt so I mean, right in a way. Feedback, but I mean, well, you know, you can, you like, can't necessarily have it both ways. I mean, 16 year olds can be pretty smart, you know, and good writers, you know, I mean, she is, uh, a fellow, uh, a fellow uh, Spurg. So I feel like she might. Well, have, and I don't. Uh, tr- I don't vision. doubt. Kind of like, yeah, um, I don't doubt her yeah. passion or her commitment to being like a part of this thing. But just that there are forces operating that were of like course, able to yes, make her a yes, celebrity yes, overnight right. and bring her to like Davos and like UN councils and yeah, all this and stuff. Think, um, yes, and I do. I see. Like, of course, I agree with what you're in that. Like, uh, you know, there. I mean, I think that it works on two levels. Like, on one hand, I think that a lot of the people who, like, hear that stuff, like, imagine themselves as, like, one of the good ones. Uh, but, of course, there's also an aspect where, like, you know, like, for instance, during the George Floyd protest where you had, like, those, you know, like, sort of ritualized apologies of, like, sort of kneeling and begging for forgiveness uh, from, like, you know, random black people or, or whatever, you yes, know, like... Uh, exactly. Like, no, it's aspect, that same yeah, energy. Like, it's that same energy. Yeah. Uh, a, is, like, like, Greta, forgive me, forgive me. I like, remember we, seeing we that big, like, mu- Yeah, I remember seeing that big mural of her, whatever, that kind of has... Similar to, like, yeah, some of the stuff around R- RGB, uh, or, uh-huh. sorry, RBG. 
uh, where uh, I guess I said that because of KGB, but anyway, like, uh, <laughs> don't anyway, go there. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare I associate these two? Uh, but um, the uh, yeah, like uh, I saw like some mural of of Greta, you know, that was like very um, like uh, very much like iconographic sort of uh, vibes. Like I, I don't maybe you saw it too. It's like this big mural of her, like uh with the sort of ocean, uh, like, en- encompassing her or whatever. Uh, it's, uh, I, I guess there are a I couple of murals that. of her. Like, uh, if you if you Google Greta Thunberg mural, or Thunberg, you'll, uh, you'll see uh, this one come up, in addition to some others. But, yeah, this sort of, uh, like, her, the, the sort of cult around her in particular. You know, it's not about, like, it's somehow she becomes this conduit for the whole mm-hmm. environment. Yeah, there's obviously some kind of emotional need that's being... Like, there's a reason why people respond to her as, like, this sort of celebrity figurehead for, for this stuff. And, like, you know, I mean, I uh, definitely think that one of the greatest indictments of the current system is, like, the way that we can see, like, the consequences for, like, the environment and the earth, something that we're supposed to be custodians of. But, like, I think it's important to make sure, like, in all of this stuff, like, is anything actually going to happen or is it just going to be, like, a bunch of, like, effective, like, uh, you know, uh, purging of negative feelings through like these weird sort of ritualized uh you know uh processes like yeah are gonna do anything or is it just gonna be like you know so, uh, people selling us stuff using this language uh that has an emotional appeal to us exactly um, because it does know, feel like, culty and it feels like it's it's meant to like capture your fear about this and like channel it into like, a kind yeah, of is this, icon of yeah, change is this going to be a feature of like the unwind like unfolding process of like you know the climate situation getting worse and worse that we're going to have to deal with like these cloying ads basically and like the people who are perpetuating yes. it like dressing like you know that doesn't sound appealing like if we're gonna do something no. let's do something or like are we just gonna have like someone who's like the oh the climate girl who like goes on you know such and such podcast or whatever like npr to like talk about how you crush my dreams like etc like yeah um, yeah it's know, a very like, weird flex to have this person be um as opposed to i don't know like 15 years ago where it's like uh former vice president al gore is going to be like you know the main guy like going out there talking about this stuff well, and now it's like we want somebody who's like young not qualified but has like that that childhood innocence and can affect us on like the level of like if our child looks up at or us. Or like and you like, know, it would be interesting. It would be funny if it were someone not from a Scandinavian country, which of are course. really like the places you know the most white places on earth that are most like you know poised to benefit from yes. like climate change more than any well, you know not to say opening that those Arctic will, sea lanes, but, like, baby. If anyone like but yeah like whereas like oh you know what if it were like one of the like you know people from the global south who are really gonna suffer like you yes. know when well that, starts, that's the know, other like, thing uh, it's like i think of there's course, a, like people can't uh, relate yeah. to it's like i think about like uh when uh you know that uh that blonde palestinian girl you know i can remember greta but i i, I honestly can't even remember her name although that, that was some years ago uh now you know she was like uh on TV being, like, pushed around by some IDF soldiers. I think about, like, the Israeli people on the news getting upset about her being white, you know? They're like, oh, the Americans will see this, like, and they're gonna think, like, you know, like, how dare a Palestinian have white skin and blonde hair, you know? Like, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. like, um... Oh, I do remember that. I Um, remember that picture. Yeah, yeah, no, it did, um... um, And I think, no, that's right, because... there was literally some news report where, like, some dude got all, like, up in arms 
and angry that she was blonde because, like, you know, he was thinking about what the Americans would think when they saw it. Like, you know, we can't have them thinking that these people have blonde hair, you know, because then they're going to get upset, you know, like, then they're going to think, yeah. like, you know, because when they yeah, see a exactly. white girl with blonde hair being hurt, you know, then they're going to suddenly start caring, you know? Yes, so, they would much prefer, like, like a, a blonde supermodel or, or uh, IDF soldier. Yeah, they would like, much prefer Gail Gatto to be, like, yeah. stomping, you know, like, uh, an Arab boy with dark skin who threw a rock, you know, uh, instead yeah, of, like, exactly. yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh, do right. we want to just, uh, uh, before we move on uh, from Greta, um, do we just want to talk about, like, I guess she, like, just turned um, 18 and she posted something on um she literally posted an lol on caa on instagram yeah it does um, seem like an lol cia yeah situation. she yeah she has like a, a red thumb um it looks like kind of one of those iraqi i voted kind of things where it's like there's a mm-hmm. there's kind of a red stamp i don't know what that means uh and she's wearing a hoodie that says flat. Analyze this a bit more carefully. Uh, yeah, it yeah. says I flat. See the red thumb. Yes, interesting. Yes, it, it is red, and it says "Flat Mars Society" on her hoodie. And the caption reads, uh, "Thank you so much for the well wishes on my 18th birthday. Tonight, you will find me down at the local pub, exposing all the dark secrets behind the climate and school strike conspiracy, and my evil handlers who can no longer control me. I am free at last." Hmm. Interesting. What is the of Flat Mars Society? Is that a band? Uh, Maybe it's some joke. Uh, uh, the um, I don't know. It, oh wait, um, uh, it's an Elon Musk thing. Cool. Interesting. Um, he tweeted recently. Uh, why is there no Flat Mars Society? Or this is back in 2017, so this has been a thing for a while. Okay, well, um, I wonder if that's an Elon Musk. Yeah, Flat Mars Society. I, I wonder what the T-shirt merch is, uh, or like what that pertains to. Interesting. It's interesting to buy. Um, interesting thing to wear. I mean, I guess like uh, teens love graphic tees with like wacky slogans. Uh, so fair enough, I guess. But yeah, I wonder. It feels. Uh, it also. It feels a little. Uh, I don't know. A little spooky um just gonna uh, throw it out there given all the billionaires uh backing her um yeah you know i don't know maybe uh, um, uh, maybe threat pattern yeah, well, told her to like you know preemptively uh, uh if it truly is an elon musk reference it's interesting because i feel like the whole thing of like oh it's okay we'll just go to mars is like the opposite of what her message is supposed to be you know like, i guess uh, but he's also he's like, building tesla cars so he's like technically saving the environment or something so i guess but like the whole idea of like yeah like uh, we'll create like elysium the matt damon or whatever or mark Wahlberg movie like you know where it's okay like we're all we'll get to go to mars like is not really a good like climate message but or as some uh, i've heard at least one person speculate that what if all this stuff from mars is actually a smokescreen and what they want to do is build deep underground bait like luxury bases below the surface that are connected by underground hyperloops and uh basically like leave everybody else to like die on the surface um or basically uh, make it so that like you can only live in like these kind of like biodome cities and uh you well know, that is air- going to be the case like i mean you know like uh in places like saudi arabia you know they're gonna uh-huh. need air conditioning to survive like a lot of the time otherwise they'll like die of the heat uh you know uh based probably on, true you know, 
And uh, what better way to yeah. enclose everybody and make everything jail than to build like a kind of, you know, space colony sort of thing where, you know, you're charged by the, by the air you breathe, um, et cetera, et cetera. Or you have yeah. to have, you know, your, I don't know, your Neuralink chip uh, enabled to be able to go and like plug into the smart society. I could, um. I can <laughs> picture this dystopian future. I definitely can picture it. Uh, probably, like, you know, I already feel like the quarantine is like rehearsal for well, our yes, like, Yes, that, that, that's what I mean. Uh, that's what, the pod society. Yeah, exactly. And like everything, like everything about the response this year, this last year to the coronavirus like makes me worry they're gonna try a lot of the same shit with the climate crisis like they're gonna have like like well, you know energy I mean, lockdown hand hand days and stuff yeah, yeah like oh that, no like, we're... The, like the diseases like that's good that's a part of i don't necessarily think that you know depend like regardless of what you may think uh you know or regardless of what yeah, uh, you know how much play you give to the pandemic type stuff like i think that in general even if it were a pandemic, I think that aspects of, like, the spread and, like, you know, the the way these things are happening, like, uh, you know, I don't think it's unrelated, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, I, I was noticing that, uh, I think someone maybe tweeted something to this effect about how there's all these animals, like, these well-preserved sort of Ice Age uh, fauna yeah, being I brought out that. of the permafrost or whatever, you know, and it's like, yeah, like you know, well, 12, there's, stuff, there's stuff in that ice, you know, like, uh, like the thing or whatever, thing. you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, mm, yeah, programming. Like we, could, we could have some, like, you know, weird Ice Age uh, disease, like, unleashed upon us uh, or something. Well, that's that, what like, makes me know, worry is, like, like, if, what if climate change, because, okay, follow my, you know, follow my line of thinking here, but in a way, climate change is maybe the biggest pandemic of them all because it's something that the ruling classes have, you know, assuming that the science is, like, going to bear out the way that most of the scientists say it is, um, it is going to be a massive, like, generational calamity for the entire Earth, but, like, they're the ones responsible for basically doing it and not stopping it or yeah. moving to different modes of like you know energy production or not like not reorienting society and so basically they're just going to be gaslighting us all the way down to hell um in a bucket and telling <laughs> us that like something else is like oh this terrible thing is happening but of course they can't tell us they can't you know the last thing they want to do is like remind everybody of their power to actually like change it meaningfully. Cause that might involve, you know, changing uh, the distribution of power in the world. So they're going to like manufacture all these pseudo solutions to basically hurt us into the chicken factory, into the pod society. I mean, I don't see how that like, isn't going like, I don't, well, what's the other alternative? Cause like if nobody like stops that's them, what that's expect. what they're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, from the way things stand now, like, uh, I don't see how anything but that would happen. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, even like, you know, uh, like, whatever their own internal feelings are, whether they see themselves as, like, doing something shameful, probably they don't. They probably just think, like, you know, they're out for themselves, like, you know, yeah. they, uh... Uh, Mr. Global or whatever is out for himself <laughs> and uh, he, you know, uh, and uh, he like, uh, you know, sees this as like anything to keep the heat off of me, you know, like mm -hmm. this is all necessary. Like I need to do, I need to oppress the rest of the world so that my enjoying of my life can go on like un unimpeded, you know? Yes. And like, of course you can't with something like this, like, uh, 
I mean, and this is true of like other, you know, social phenomena that are in a way, you know, as we heard uh, during the protests, like they are in a way, uh, you know, uh, uh, health crises or, or things like that, you know, social things like, yeah. like racism. There are issues that like can't really be ignored, but they can like be sort of twisted and managed and like, uh, you know, uh, uh, dealt with in a way or, uh, you know, they can be the messaging can be. Uh, carefully done so that like people can be bamboozled enough that like their life isn't disrupted and everyone else yeah goes to hell in a bucket uh, and that <laughs> seems that seems to be like the trajectory that we're on like I don't like you know uh, right now that would be like yeah that's kind of currently what's happening that's what seems to be like you know where things will shake out you know uh, yeah certainly yeah. I don't think any of these like Davos people who are like oh yeah we care about climate change. We need to create a great impact to make it stop or whatever. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Are actually doing anything. Like, you know, uh, so, yeah. Um, they want to, I mean, or, I'm sure they're already modeling, like, oh, how can we capitalize on, like, the Arctic sea lanes opening and all that stuff? Like, in a way, I have to kind of respect uh, Russia for almost kind of openly not caring about climate change that much because it's obviously going to probably benefit them in a lot of ways. It's going to like open them up to like sea routes, like all around the world and probably make parts of Russia like more temperate. And I mean, it might also like destroy all their crops and like (laughs) unleash a bunch of like Um, thing diseases on them, but they seem to be kind of the only ones that are like, they're not, they don't doth protest too much kind of like the way there the Scandinavian countries do for global there definitely will be a way for like Russian oligarchs and like you know uh, on a greater scale like global elites to continue living their lives in relative luxury like, yes despite whatever happens with climate change whatever new pathogens emerge like you know whatever yes. new crises emerge there will be a way to manage like whatever problems are emerging like uh, mm-hmm. such that these people's lives and like their their luxuries like aren't really impeded and like the brunt of these new problems that emerge like is going to be borne by us <laughs> you know like yes. uh so and i think yeah, I, I i think maybe it's not too far to say based on the 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 fascinations of these like very high level you know oligarchs like we talked about prince philip like wanting to wipe out a bunch of the population and like all these people that had like this obsession kind of really starting in like the 1970s like the club of rome with overpopulation as this huge problem um yeah and um and basically i i can't shake the feeling that some of these people at the very top, deep down, whether they fully admit it to themselves or not, uh, would really love to just see, like, some calamity come and, like, wipe out, like, mm, at least half of the world's population. Yeah, well, because they are Trump supporters or whatever, you know, like... uh, (laughs) They're deplorable, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I mean, we have... We can thank uh, Movie Bob for saying the quiet part loud uh, and, you know, uh, expressing his uh, contempt for... uh, the the unwashed masses who are holding back like the future of progress yeah like you know people who are like complaining or ungrateful you know critical of like uh you know like yeah they would want those people like because they don't they're not creating enough value you know they don't deserve yes to live really yeah i think that is did you see did you see that did you like you know i think that's that's true like you know i won't say that about like every like rich person or whatever but i think that is something where like you know people are at incredibly out of touch their moral uh you know sensibilities aren't properly cultivated or they're denuded or like you know there's social pressures that like you know uh 
like th- to not care about the stuff to look another way they're like you know groomed and reared to to have this sort of sensibility like they uh yes you know yeah so they would yeah i think that they would not at least not mind uh i mean better like you know the unwashed masses than them and i think that they do sort of see themselves yes. as separate more enlightened you know better and they don't see themselves as having any kind of noblesse oblige or at least not in any way that I is uh, having any positive dividends for the people to whom the oblige is allegedly felt. Uh, yes, uh, I yeah. think that they are. They they there's still a a great reservoir of fear that you know we see what happens when like any tippy top ruling class has been threatened you know to have their their wealth expropriated like you see the bitterness of taking away those casinos and resorts and brothels <laughs> and and you know from havana like in the 1950s like still just like makes their blood boil like they cannot uh, you know and and you know the the fear of having that taken away from you and maybe operating on some level, like knowing that you like don't deserve all, like all the stuff that you have. Um, <laughs> and then feeling like, you know, you're cosmically going to get like your comeuppance. Uh, and like, I just think, you know, it unleashes some dark impulses in people, even if they're just sitting around like brooding about it. And if they're like locked away in like Aspen, Colorado in, you know, uh, wherever the hell they, that line of thinking is like, we have to keep increasing the control on people or else Mm. it might start to like, it's it like we have control right now, but like, Hey, that can always change, you know, things go wrong. Like, you know, ruling classes get wiped out sometimes. And like constantly be managed. It has, there's like, you know, there is an unfolding crisis and like, it's just a question of, managing the crisis or or the crisis will overwhelm you uh because you know uh or someone else will rise to promise a new way to manage it uh something like that uh so yeah it needs to constantly be managed and everyone needs to constantly be psyoped uh yeah as part of that strategy of management there's Um, no going back from it there's no one thing i think you know like our political system is incapable of like stopping it at this point because it's so integrated into how everything functions like Mm -hmm. just the lying that gets like that trickles down from you know uh through the media from these like ngos into the government you know etc etc it's like it permeates everything um okay well uh yeah okay i guess you know speaking uh, of permeating yeah, speaking of permeating everything, uh, this is a quick one, I think. Uh, w- this, question number two is, which rappers do you think are an op? Um, Saw Baby. Well, I don't know if he's an, uh, an intelligence agency op, assuming that's what op means. I think he might be an op by Shaitan, uh, you know, to promote unknownism. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, any rappers who are intel ops? I'm not sure. Uh, well, you know, or psyops. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I would definitely include him there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've, uh, discussed, uh, Lil Uzi Vert, uh, etc. Um, yeah. it's bizarre how, like, uh, those are, like, the big, like, all, like, Little Uzi Vert, Saw Baby are, like, Trippy you know, Red. Like, leading figures now, yeah. Um, like, uh, the, uh, you know, I, th- I see, like, that, uh, I, I think I saw a Little Uzi Vert, yeah, and Saw Baby, both, we're like on Genius's uh, 50 best albums of 2020. 
Wow. Uh, yes. Um, dope. I mean, I, yeah, I don't really, uh, I think it's all, all those rappers I, I've, I've struggled to understand. Lil Uzi Vert like, is number two. Wow. Lil wow. Uzi Vert's sophomore LP was arguably 2020's most anticipated album. And the, the uh, cover is like a UFO uh, <laughs> with a bunch of people on the moon with some like Moai, you know, some like uh, Easter Island colossal heads here. Um, uh-huh. And Lil Uzi Vert, why? Why are you trying to take everyone to hell? Stop. Like, stop. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know where to start. Like a lot of people could be ops. Like I mean, um, I don't know. Like definitely an op by. Yeah, I would uh, say I would say all of these like satanic. I would say Takashi Six Nine probably some kind of op. <laughs> um. Yes. Just to uh, drive everyone insane. Um, and valorize like snitching. Hmm. Yeah. Like L- um, do like an LOL. I'm a snitch. Um, you know, which he literally did this year with his Tattletales album. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Right now, Drake might be an op. Yeah, Drake. Drake, Drake has like, like Drake has the sus owl. Yeah. He has the owl logo and like. Mm, yeah. No. Something. Something's going on he there. Definitely. Um, yeah. He. That's why he hit up Millie Bobby Brown because he saw her in Stranger Things, and you know he was like, "Yeah, I'm into that." You know. He was in Indigo Child, Child too. He was. Yeah, he was exactly. Disney. He was Disney. Let's not forget yeah, that. Well, was he Disney? Uh, right. Degrassi. Degrassi right. Degrassi. Degrassi's not Disney though. That's Canadian. Isn't? I know it's Unless, Canadian. Oh well. I did Disney like remake Degrassi as an American show later. I forget I that. Well, no, did or something. Okay, or, so the, what? The, 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 what? Uh, Skins was like a thing that MTV did. Is that Disney connected? I don't know. Like, uh, no, no, no. It wasn't. That was totally like probably channel. Though. That was like channel four or something. Um, yeah. What the hell was? was an, yeah. Oh, actually, wow. Yeah. I feel no. Like Degrassi is like a Canadian broadcasting company thing. It's like you know public TV because it's all like very special episode type content. Like uh, you're right. It's a. It was well, Drake was shot in a in a match in a school shooting, you know, in a predictive yes. programming school shooting on the show, you know. So, uh, yeah, um, he was in, I believe, Degrassi: The Next Generation. Right. Right. Yes, he was. I think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, you, you're right that it. Okay, it actually was. Uh, yeah, it, it was from CTV uh, originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. Eventually, it was on MTV Canada. And I guess it was too, it's too saucy, I think, even for, it always just had a, a Disney vibe to me, just the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a kind of Canadian, you know, thing. Um, yeah. So it was actually more associated with Nickelodeon, uh, Teen Nick. It was uh, right, broadcast yes. on there. The N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. but still, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, Drake, probably an op. Uh, Birdman, huge op. Uh, so, uh, like, I, I never liked Birdman. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I, I'm going to go uh, Gucci Mane is an op. I think that, like, I never understood why people thought that, like, Gucci Mane was, like, a, a, I don't know, like a genius or whatever. Uh, yeah. There's certain rappers like that that got really popular in, like, the early 2010s with, like, white kids in, like, Brooklyn that, like, listened to, like, southern rap music, like, 
kind of like What's, half ironically, yeah. but then it like, mm-hmm. but then Gucci Mane would get like a nine point eight on like Pitchfork or something for like trapping. Yeah, like, something that like was like not very good. Like yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I love it. That felt like, like an op. Like that whole thing felt like an op. Yeah, Pitchfork is an op. That's I guess separate. Yeah, but like anyone yeah. who's like best new music on Pitchfork, possibly an op because they themselves. Maybe an op. Um, uh, what's the verdict on future? I mean, I guess he's kind of old hat now. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I I initially uh, remember I used to think future was an op like years ago when he got popular. Yeah, well, first I don't remember were you first sussed out by future and then yes. you got kind of into future. Then I got into first... future. Okay, I see. I'm a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of an op, um, but also I think for all the kind of like mumble trap rappers, like he does have a certain, you know, he, he hit his stride for a little while. Dirty Sprite 2 is is a good album, you know, um, it, it captures a certain captures a certain blissed out like or like depressed, like zannied out mood in like late Obama term America in like the 2010s that I think is uh, is will will remain as like probably some of the better music of that period where, you know, uh, maybe your, your mileage varied, um, especially as like a whole album future nowadays is like kind of hit or miss. And he does a lot of, he does a lot of features with like these young, like shaitanic kind of rappers. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm just back yeah. to like a healthy ambivalence about future. I hate to say it, but uh, Slim Shady, you know, Eminem, he's mm, probably an op. Yeah, um, probably an op. You know, yeah, especially what about, like post recovery, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about what about um, what about Kanye, op or not? Hmm, I don't know. I feel like he is like a like a um, MK whistleblower or something, you know. But like uh, a little bit too, like you know, he hasn't been able to fully articulate maybe the whistle blowing uh but i feel like maybe i don't know i'm a bit sympathetic to him i feel like he's gotten yeah he hasn't been treated fully fairly in some of uh you know he yeah he did some annoying things like such as uh saying that black people uh were slaves and it was their own fault or whatever like oh yeah yeah uh you know but at the same time you know i think that uh i thought you were gonna say he did some annoying things like interrupt taylor swift my queen who uh uh yeah well that was true that's true he did do that that was the probably the worst thing that he ever did um and also like leaked that phone call with her really not cool you know sending taylor on a spiral uh but you know what uh her online cancellation probably produced uh like some of her better albums so um yeah that was yeah yeah it all worked out i think he he may be a targeted individual um yeah i'm willing to cut him some some slack slack. but yes um that's true i mean he does have that feud with taylor so that's us obviously yeah oppie about taylor at all she's pure uh and she's fine and not at all uh you know like a white supremacist or anything um yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and okay. uh yeah uh, i'm trying to think any other last rappers who might be ops i mean i feel like we've delved into this uh topic uh you know, uh, relative like there, there's uh, definitely a lot. We'll, we'll get to some, uh, later on. Um, and I guess they're asking this before, but the Buster Rhymes episode came out on yeah, Alwara, mm-hmm. which we will might have named some other op 
Uh, yeah, we got a little bit into that, uh, the sort of NOI influence and, you know, hip hop mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but anyways, right. I think uh, yes. I think we can move on to, to number three of the sub question. Uh, what's your take on DMT? Um, other than being a portal to another dimension where the Claxton men reside um, and or job of the hut type beams. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess my take on it is like, should people, like, be synthesizing it and taking it? Like, I don't know. I feel like you're going to fuck yourself up, like, doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, a job of the hut being might send you back to the beginning of time as punishment <laughs> for trespassing where you don't belong. Yeah. Uh, insofar as it's, like, a natural part of the body, like, maybe it does play some role in these sort of transcendental experiences. Like, you know, when it's, uh, if it's naturally generated at certain times, like, uh, you know, yeah. and perhaps it does create, like, in the way we've sort of entertained before on, on previous episodes, like, I think that some of these entheogens or whatever can sort of create openings to uh, other dimensions or other, uh, you know, planes of, of existence or other uh, perceptual uh, realms. So, uh, you know, perhaps accounting for some of the, the uh, intel interests in, in some of the stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think, think that... Blackstone man, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think the fact that it is like, you know, present in your body and released uh, when you die is like the most interesting thing about DMT. But otherwise, I would say it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's similar in a lot of ways to, you know, a lot of the other psychedelics. They're all kind of part of the same uh, uh, family in terms of like what they what they do to you. Um, I wouldn't like I wouldn't stand it or run to the jungles of Peru and try to, like, pay a shaman to, you know, uh, go on a vision quest uh, or whatever. Uh, Yeah. yeah, You know, I think it is what it is. But I I think, you know, maybe uh, at a later date, probably when we do, like, a Terrence McKenna one, we'll have an opportunity to dive a little deeper into the sort of, like, popularization and even kind of, like, the quasi-cult around dmt in particular is like you know what what was what did it propose to add to the equation that you know mescaline and psilocybin and uh, lsd didn't do because i think there is Um, a lot there there's an article in the seattle stranger from 2008 uh that says new on the black market vape pens full of dmt uh and the uh you know sub headline is is vaping the most powerful psychedelic in the world a good idea only one way to find out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man! Okay, yeah, I did hear those were those uh, are floating. Was it you said two two thousand eight or twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like pre vape pen. Yeah, but no, I I did hear that that they were kind of floating around. Um, that seems intense. Odd. I'd be a little afraid to uh just vape up like a a, a homebrew like t- yeah. yeah DMT concoction like that. Yeah, um, I'm not necessarily like seeking. An encounter with the Claxton men uh, at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Fair like, enough. yeah, I don't need, like, you know, uh, I don't need to find them. Um, yeah, yeah, word. Okay. Um, uh, let, let's, uh, let's do number four real quick. Uh, what are your four favorite video games ever? Four, very specific. Um, um, yeah, very, yeah, very specific number. What are you getting at? Why is this, like, you know, odd sus number i mean it's an even number but like it's an odd like no, not three four like is this some kind of thing like what are you getting at why four uh i feel like you know hmm. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, four favorite video games ever. Um, maybe, I don't know, Ocarina of Time comes to mind. I don't know, it's a difficult question. Uh, just, just go, instinctually. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess Ocarina of Time does come to mind. Uh, but again, like, am I a huge gamer? I don't know, I like Civ. Uh, maybe, uh, Pokemon Red version, uh, like, um, what else, uh, Castlevania, maybe, Castlevania 4, Super Castlevania 4. Hell yeah, um, Castlevania was dope, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I guess that's 4, there you go. Okay, um, yeah, so. uh, I'll just, uh, maybe I'll just say, I'll, I'll do a little chronological thing because uh, I did game a lot when I was a kid, but I've kind of like mostly given it up. Um, I'll say um, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. That one's good, yeah. Yeah, I Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah, Castlevania's dope. Um, I played that a lot when I was like really little on the that's, NES. You know, um, that's like the inspiration for this podcast because like, you know, we all want to be Belmonts. We all want to, you know, yeah. uh, besiege the vampire castle. You know, when some are trying to exit the vampire castle, we're trying to storm the vampire castle. You know? Yeah, we are storming uh, the, yeah. the vampire castle. Um, right, exactly. Yes. And uh, so I'd say, yeah, then I would say uh, Mario Kart 64. Don't care. It's perf- perfect game. Um, <laughs> then I'd probably go with a Mortal Kombat trilogy, um, which specifically uh, uh, really one of the best fighting engines and you get to play all the characters. Um, yeah, and controversial um, running, but, you know... Okay. Well, I use yeah. it. I use it to good effect. Um, I'm I'm pretty pretty <laughs> yes, formidable in MKT. A few, few combat rounds. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. 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 Um, yeah. and then finally, really the probably one of the only video games I played in the last like two years is a uh, Crisis in the Kremlin, uh, which you can download <laughs> on Steam, which is a uh, kind of a uh, turn like a, a sort of like. A complicated and clunky but fascinating strategy game where you have you take control of the soviet union in 1985 and try to manage uh, every aspect of its like economy and foreign policy uh and uh defeat the u.s imperialists uh which is like incredibly hard to do uh and you eventually like fail and uh like reactionaries like storm the kremlin and and have you executed um or you know all the republics break away um and uh but you know if you pursue a policy of um of neo-colonialism and get resource extraction deals and if you get enough uh, trotskyists in um you know, the Politburo to form a plurality with the Stalinists, then you can sponsor left terrorism in the United States. Um, <laughs> and yes. uh, there's a lot of really amazing, uh, like, it's like a very, uh, the game is almost like purposely obtuse, I guess, to like mimic the difficulty of being able to keep track of like absolutely everything that's happening. Um, I haven't but, played you know. it myself, but I remember you chronicling, uh, you know, your efforts with the game and you know, having some, pitfalls early on you know struggling to avoid collapse uh yes and, and everything. well yeah, yeah. i think mm-hmm. i would I highly recommend it to anybody that's like interested in like soviet history or marxism or anything like that because uh especially coming from a western perspective like if you think that you're you know um like you're 
you're hard headed. You're like Lenin. Like you're going to make the hard choices. Uh, and you don't think you're like a sentimental Westerner. Like you'll find out like the first time you play when you try to do something that's like half like, oh, maybe we'll just like let some free speech like happen and like <laughs> encourage like this celebrity to like criticize the government. Then everything like falls apart and you get shot. <laughs> like, it, yeah. you know, you basically just like get dominated by America, which is basically what happened to Gorbachev. Um, so then like after, you know, a number of rounds, then you start going like the hyper like Stalinist restoration and like investing like tons of fucking science money into like cybernetics to build your own internet and like a mass surveillance system. And, uh, and every time like a, a constitu- a Warsaw Pact country has like a, you know, riots or anything like no, you, you, you roll in those tanks. Like you do not hesitate. And, uh, you at least survive right. longer. And there's, there's um, a choice of leaders too. <laughs> like you choose like who you play as, like you can play as Ligachev, uh, or, uh-huh. uh, Yeltsin yeah. Or, or, uh, yeah. Gromyko. You could be Gromyko. You could be Romanov. Um, or you could be uh, Gorbachev. Uh, yeah. Or nice. Chevron. You might be able to be Chevronadze. Uh, and you know, all these people come with like certain, like influence points and you're more able to like, <laughs> like, it, like rates, like so. the satisfaction of like, you know, the, the KGB, like the generals, like, uh, the, you know, uh, the intelligentsia and like, you have to, um, you know, like you have to, you have to assuage the religion leaders unless early on you decide to just like crack down on religion completely. And then, uh, you don't <laughs> have to bribe the bishops anymore. Uh, cause they've been outlawed. <laughs> so nice. okay, it really, but, you know, uh, you, but, or you could be like woke, you could be like, you know, uh, more liberal and religion, but like everything has its costs and like trade-offs. So like, uh, I've, yeah, I burned um, a good amount of hours like trying to get it just right to uh, apparently, you know, if you finesse the game, like you can turn uh, the United States communist and like oh, turn no. the entire world red. But it's like <laughs> incredibly difficult to do. Um, mm. But it's a uh, it, it, it's it's good shit. So uh, that would be my uh, one current recommendation. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that I would recommend anything as strongly as, uh, you recommended that. Uh, I guess we're now we're down to like our last question here so i think we're okay. yeah i'm checking we're just about at like uh three hours so i think we can that's pretty good we, for q a it's yeah, pretty good right. yeah last, yeah we, we tackled a yeah, lot that's so, like normal uh, episode length okay um <sighs> yeah so this um, last one is what are your takes on famous photo comparisons 
slash questionable comparison, like, say, Apparentage. Crowley, Barbara Bush, or Trudeau and Castro. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've heard the Crowley, Barbara Bush thing before. Um, yeah, I, I think I might have shared that with you. Yeah, uh, years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, so, maybe? Um... Uh. I read into that some years back. There, there is some writing speculating about Barbara Bush. The the story hypothetically goes is that Barbara Bush's mother spent a bit of time uh, traveling to Europe uh, after she was already married, but before she had, before she had Barbara, and she stayed with like a rather bohemian uh, sort of friend of hers in Paris, and it was around the same time. That Aleister Crowley was spending some time in Paris, and apparently, um, I think uh, Barbara Bush's mother, Barbara Bush's mother's friend, had knew Aleister Crowley, and so it's possible that they socially crossed paths during you know that time period, and then uh, the mother came back to the U.S and um, quickly got pregnant and then had Barbara Bush. So some people say, well, I bet that she got sucked into the OTO and did like a sex magic ritual and Crowley impregnated her with like the sperm of the beast and then uh, <laughs> thus was born okay. Barbara. And uh, and then, um, so that which would make... Uh, well, yeah, that would make George W. Bush the grandson of Aleister Crowley. Hmm. Yeah, it would. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, okay. I mean, there's there's not much to go off beyond that, and the fact that they do kind of look similar in older age, um, you know, it, it's, not, mm-hmm. it's not a non-resemblance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same they, time... You know, this yeah. is interesting. Uh, I did find uh, one little blog post by Jason Louvre, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, who I guess wrote a book on John Dee. Um, and uh, he said that uh, Alistair Crowley was raised in an English extremist religious group called the Exclusive Brethren, led by a preacher named John Nelson Darby. Darby is the person that invented the concept of the rapture, the idea that people will literally be teleported into heaven during the second coming. He made a huge mark on history by claiming that the book of Revelation was literally real and definitely not just a metaphor, and even that human beings had to help God's plan by bringing about the end of the world so that Jesus would come back sooner. Um, you know, the British, not being particularly impressed by anything this sincere, let alone religious literalism, didn't take to Darby's ideas. Aleister Crowley sure did, however, because he spent the rest of his life rebelling against his early cult brainwashing by trying to create his own satanic version of Darby's teachings. While Darby declared that the new Aeon was coming, meaning the second coming of Christ, the adult Crowley declared himself the prophet of his own new Aeon, one that was to be focused on enacting the reign of the Antichrist, meaning Crowley himself, of course, yes, you know, we always talk about this. Somewhere in the back mm-hmm. of Crowley's mind, he probably believed that he was just helping Jesus' plan along by playing the bad guy in the story. Interesting take. Uh, but yeah, anyway, he goes on to say, another group that took Darby's ideas quite seriously well uh, was American Evangelicals. Uh, you know, so he says, uh, you know, he talks about Gog Magog and the, uh, you know, uh, in the Iraq war and, and George Bush saying that. So he says like, even if Barbara Bush wasn't literally Crowley's daughter, they were both drawing their inspiration from the same place. Darby's dispensational Christianity, which at the very least makes them ideological relatives. 
Uh, hmm. So that's wow. Okay. All right. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But, but okay. Yeah, well, what that. do you think yeah. about the the other one that gets thrown a lot uh, around more recently is that uh, Justin Trudeau's yeah. actual father is Fidel Castro. Um. Hmm, that's interesting. Is that like something that originates with like uh you know Trudeau type like you know uh the Canadian equivalent yeah. of Yeah, who are like saying that he's like carrying out Castro's communist plot to you know make Canada communist by I don't know doing blackface or whatever like. <laughs> whatever he it is he does uh well i don't know maybe we should check uh there's an ap news article no fidel castro is not (laughs) canada being trudeau's father um from 2018 um Um, and i guess uh i just want to see like yeah like what um uh i guess there was there was a rumor um i didn't realize this in february 2018 uh castro's oldest son fidelito um, committed suicide and there was a report claiming that he left a suicide note referring to Justin Trudeau as his half brother and I guess because a lot of this seemed that had been sparked after he gave very positive you know uh, comments uh, when Fidel Castro died in 2016 he mm-hmm. you know gave I a see. very like nice statement about Castro um, and uh yeah, okay, well, you know, I guess maybe, maybe they got us on this one, because it does say that uh, Justin Trudeau was born a little more than nine months after the marriage of his parents and more than four years before Margaret made a much-publicized first trip to Cuba and met Fidel Castro. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, you know, Margaret uh, Trudeau well, really kind of... that was much-publicized doesn't mean that they hadn't met before, you know. Uh, maybe they met earlier. Um, well, I mean, uh, Castro was a little bit, you know, tied up. Uh, he, he wasn't really free to travel, so she would have had to... It says this is her first trip to Cuba, so unless she secretly yeah, went to Cuba of. before Justin Trudeau was born, um, yeah. or they met at, like, the UN one time or something like that. Um, and, or, you know, this would have yeah. been in 1970, 1971. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. Even though they do have, I think if you look at a picture of young Fidel, especially when he's like more clean cut, and uh, then you look at a picture of Pierre Trudeau, eh, <laughs> he kind of looks a little more like Castro. I'll give it to him, but uh, but I, mean, I guess I feel like Pierre mm, Trudeau, like people hate as well. Like he's also like a damning father to have. I feel like from uh, perhaps even more damning than than Castro from a certain point of view. Uh, so you know, uh, that yeah, would make Trudeau cooler actually um, hold up because there's a there is a medium article by uh by karen Leibovich that says of course fidel castro is just introduced dad nobody has debunked anything from july of this year <laughs> nice. um so Thank just you. to fire off here a little bit um okay i don't know this is kind of damning in the age of sloppy journalism, few authors are sloppier than those who claim they debunk the story that Fidel Castro is Justin Trudeau's biological father. They recite the Canadian government's official travel dates to Cuba and painfully avoid the Trudeau's extensive personal trip to the Caribbean in spring 1971. It is a fact that the Trudeaus were in the Caribbean in spring 1971. It is a fact they adored Castro. It is a fact the Trudeaus were swingers. This is what you need to know. Wow. Okay. So first, Margaret Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, and Fidel Castro uh, were all notoriously sexually promiscuous. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, kind of true. This uh, is Margaret- crazy. Uh, the, uh, this is the part about what you... Sorry, this is from the same article. Uh, just jumping ahead here. Uh, you know, we're finding some really uh, hot stuff. This is the part about what debunkers intentionally mislead readers. Justin Trudeau was born on Christmas Day, 1971. In order for his father to be Fidel Castro, his mother would have to be somewhere close to Cuba in March and April, 1971. She was. In April 1971, the Trudeaus took a long, quote, second honeymoon all around the Caribbean. According to Wikipedia, they visited one island they declined to disclose. It is the only island they did not disclose. From Wikipedia, the Trudeaus took a second honeymoon in the Caribbean to Barbados in an unidentified nearby island. Wow. Okay. Um, Because, no, that is true that, like, I absolutely believe the Trudeaus were, like, swingers and were, like, party animals and... I mean, Castro was, uh, he did have that reputation. Um, I mean, I don't know if I buy everything in this article that he, uh, you know, he was, uh, so legendary that, you know, his sexual appetite was so legendary. The article cannot efficiently capture it. Suffice to say he endeavored to have sex with two new women every day and sent aides to fetch them. Um, eh, is that true? Um, uh, but I mean, no, he, he he was kind of a Lothario in in a lot of this ways. This is an interesting, uh, like um, this is an interesting concluding paragraph. Today we might remember Fidel Castro as an old man, but he was one of the most impressive people in the world back then, especially to fellow Marxists like the Trudeaus. He forcefully deposed a brutal dictator with a band of ragtag rebels. He turned Cuba into the Western world's first Marxist country. He beat the Americans in an armed invasion by personally commanding a battle in a tank. He survived CIA coups and assassination attempts. He outlived two Kennedy brothers behind those attempts. He was smart, charming, and funny. He was 6'3", strong, and an athlete who sported the frame of an American football player. He looked like he could beat up any other world leader, much less any competitor for Margaret Trudeau's attention. He was full of bravado, confidence, and masculinity, and smoked cigars like a baller. Why would Pierre Trudeau (laughs) choose anyone else to be the biological father of his children? Whoa, my uh, God, that even gets into some weird, like, uh, you know, eugenics kind of like, I want to, I want to, I want the seed of like Fidel Castro to be a, my son who I'm going to like raise up to become the leader of Canada yes. one day. I want him to have like the genes of Castro. Yeah. <laughs> oh my um, God. Okay. I thought my head's starting to spin a little. I'm looking at this picture of the article, 1976 Margaret Trudeau with both arms around Fidel Castro. She does have both her arms around him as he's like showing her a picture and Trudeau is the uh, Pierre Trudeau's there. Like, with a big grin on his face, like loving it. And Castro <laughs> looks pretty, I mean, she's, she's a beautiful woman. She was also like 20 and uh, Trudeau was like in his fifties uh, when they got married. He was like an, he was a lifelong bachelor. So I can see uh, some of the resemblance between, despite like their attempts to kind of, uh, you know, they're showing pictures of Pierre Trudeau to sort of say like, this is only just Trudeau, but I can I do see some of the resemblance there as well, uh, but I see the Castro resemblance too. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, especially when he has like a little mu- that little mustache. Um, <laughs> I can kind um, of see the Trudeau, but it definitely is leaning a little bit more towards. Uh, um, I I just don't know. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah, even though this article from Medium definitely has, like, a right-wing, like, all the articles debunking the story follow the same format. They all come from left-leaning websites who sympathize with Trudeau. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. like, I don't yeah. sympathize with the Trudeau. It's actually, like, kind of, like, 
it's kind of like devastating that like <laughs> if he's actually the illegitimate son of Castro, he's like so lame. It's the ultimate you know I mean? conquest. It's the ultimate ideological victory over capitalism. Or, sorry, over communism to have Fidel Castro's son be, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's an open case. Uh, we can't. Yeah. Quite can't quite say. Okay. Uh, um, which has done some compelling journalism here. Uh, and the, the article, no, Fidel Ca- the, uh, does not does not do uh, the alternative take any favors. Uh, anything. Any no comma headlines uh, are... Uh, they never fail. They never fail. Um, um, uh, yeah. so, um, um, so let's see. Like, uh, okay. The, the second to last thing here, kind of related... Um, you know, uh, Bad Back Jack asked Paul versus Fall. So basically asking, do we believe that, like, Paul is dead uh, that and was replaced by, like, a lookalike? Um, yes, Paul's dead man. Oh, I mean, is that, okay, I was just saying yes in terms of confirming. Um, yes. Yes. Like, uh, is, like, is, from yeah. Bad Back Jack, he's asking, what are your takes on Paul versus Fall? Uh, Faux Paul, I guess. Yeah, um your take on famous double slash clones as well. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning, uh, before that, like Ed Opperman or whatever is like, mm-hmm. you know, thinks it's absurd that anyone would deny that like this, the, the Paul McCartney that we know today is like a fake, uh, and the real Paul McCartney is dead. Uh, like it's, he, you know, he's it's got real confidence. Of, yeah. yeah. He, he's like, it is, it is settled to him that like, obviously <laughs> they replaced this guy. Like, look at him, you know? Um, and I've listened to a couple of those episodes and, you know, I'm like vaguely aware of this kind of theory. And I mean, sure. The pictures look, they do, I don't know, look a little different, well, but it's I'm also like aware of the theory per se. Cause I know the Paul, like I know the sort of Paul's dead idea, what I sort of thought was that people, like, you know, at the time thought that was credible because, uh, you know, maybe he hadn't been seen or whatever, or, like, you know, there was some sort of, like, you know, he was being uh, sort of reclusive in some way, but then, like, it sort of, once he came out, like, it, it uh, had less... What's the idea? Like, why, like, why, like, was, did he die of natural causes and then he was replaced, like, because the Beatles had to continue or yes. was he killed for some reason? Well, uh, uh, well, I, I mean, at, at the core, it's that he he died in 1966, and then the Beatles covered up his death, and then hired somebody who looked like him, sang like him, and had the same jovial personality. I'm reading from a Time article from I think like the 90s, uh, entitled "Paul Is Dead," um, where they kind of summarize this, uh, uh, and kind of like the what the conspiracy theory kind of was, uh, that actually this guy's name was, uh, let's see, uh, Billy Shears, I guess is supposedly the, the guy who replaced him. Um, and you know, there's all these clues people point to, um, like John Lennon's lyrics in a day in the life. Edinburgh, uh, who was trained to impersonate Paul McCartney by the Beatles. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's all kinds of like you know hidden codes and things like that um right. and he, i don't know um uh this article is kind of lame actually um uh, but uh, right you know paul's a dead man miss him miss him you know the backmasking lyrics uh 
Hmm. Yes, I guess uh, the LMW on on the license plate of the Volkswagen Beetle stands for Linda McCartney Weeps or Linda <laughs> McCartney Widow. Oh my God! Uh, no. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, was he married to Linda McCartney already? So would she have to like be convinced why that, or something? There must there must be some kind of element of you know the we've talked about this before. I feel like the whole idea of like the satanic mockery, where like. Yeah, it's interesting, but at a certain level, like, you know, uh, you get into a zone where, uh, like, any kind of, like, logic or, like, practicality just goes out the window because, like, they're constantly tipping their hand and, like, giving clues, like, for the sake of satanic mockery and, like, going above and beyond to, like, give away what they're doing. Like, if this really had happened, like, why are the Beatles, like, these sociopaths who, like, are rubbing it in your face that Paul is a dead man? Or, like, are they being forced to go along with it by, like, higher powers and they're like trying to like give clues you know like they're trying to you know help the world know but they they can't outrightly say it because like there's a bunch of different there's a bunch of different um like angles on it like uh, basically that it's funny it notes here on the wikipedia about it that you know he supposedly died on nine uh on 11 9 1966 no. Very spooky. Uh, yeah, his, uh, his mode of death, I, you know, not decapitated. to Decapitated. Yes, of, of laughing at something grim on uh, the QA. But, I mean, yeah, sorry, but there's something uh, darkly comical about the imagery of, like, Paul McCartney angrily driving off from an argument and, like, being decapitated in his car. Like, it's very uh, spooky. It it also reminds you of um wasn't like it Shirley Shirley Ma- off like I'm uh, sorry. Well, well um, it reminds <laughs> me of a Shirley MacLaine who joined the, the Church of Satan and then was decapitated in a car accident in the 60s. Mm. Um so there's that um I don't know. Like yeah, they they say that, you know, uh you know, the replacement was instigated by Britain's MI5 out of concern for the severe distress McCartney's death would cause the Beatles audience. Um, and that almost sounds like they're in the middle of a mind control operation and they didn't want to end it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, right. They, yeah. they just spent all this uh, time, uh, you know, ensorcelling people to be like, you know, uh, obsessed with the Beatles. Maybe they and, had like a stable of like, you know, failed Paul McCartney clones, like, you know, and for all the Beatles that they had like on reserve and they were like, well, you know, this one. Yeah. Has, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say no. Uh, but I would have to look into these theories a little more and like do a little uh, reading up to to know for sure. Uh, a lot of people over the years got kind of. It's very persistent rumor, um, and maybe is potentially some kind of limited hangout. If I'm going to be skeptical about it, I'd say that there was something else that was sus about the Beatles, that the Paul is dead thing. There's something sus about the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's something sus about it in general, and the, I think that this shows, like, the very fact that this became a thing, like, show, well, I guess, a testament to the sus aspects of the Beatles. Like, the, mm-hmm. you know, the relationship people had with the Beatles to the point where they would feel that there was this sort of messaging you know, or that this, like, you know, this was thinkable in the milieu of, of the Beatles, like, that says something about the kind of phenomenon that the Beatles were, um, you know, that these ideas would be, you know, and this, this would be an enduring concept that this would happen, you know, there definitely was something sus about it, and yeah, maybe 
there is a limiting hangout, a limited hangout component to it, uh, you know, and that, or maybe the whole thing was a psyop of some form, you know, where maybe, you know, because people did say, like, you know, even when calling it a hoax, you know, they did blame John Lennon for it and said that he was doing it to promote the album or whatever, the band, so maybe, you know... As yeah, maybe there's just a, being a little puckish, a uh, little puckish. Yes, um, yes. And then you know he was say. he was shot, you know, and uh, there's all that. Probably by an MK you know. like hypno assassin, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, just so much, yeah, right. lots of weirdness going on. Um, yeah, and, and he was like, if you're, you know, if you're hanging up pictures of Chairman Matt, like you know, and all that stuff, it's like, uh, like during, yeah, like, you know, come on, uh, man, during like, don't like significant do that. protests, like yeah, like, right. Uh, well, I don't know, or <laughs> like you know, well, like uh, excuse got, me, like, excuse me. Mr. Newton, like that's not how you do revolution. <laughs> like, shut up. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, oh, Mr. Hampton, mate, uh, you you waving that little red book around, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, it's like shut uh, up. Okay, <laughs> you fucking Tavistock uh, lab uh, rats. I don't know. Yes, um, we'll okay. get to Tavistock. There was some spicy shit in that um that blog post about like the Bilderberg conspiracy book that Fidel Castro posted that I think I tweeted in the last week um, right. where uh, they talk all about, you know, the Beatles were like just literally like a mind control operation um, run out of Tavistock yeah. by uh, psychos and sickos. Um, yeah. But I mean, anyways, well, a lot uh, of stuff yeah. like that, you know, like the Beatles, like a plan to like hypnotize our youth or whatever, like that people were always sort of like, you know, communists uh, my, uh, projection. Yes. You know, people were, well, you see, I think like, that was the limited hangout. That was level one was that they yeah. were, a part of a secret communist plot when in fact this was uh yeah this is like the ultimate false flag yeah um, that would be a good episode because i've always been one of those people who like has just not understood the appeal of the beatles i'm sorry you know people can like drag me just drag me to the mud for loving taylor swift being complete philistine who hates like you know all like reviewed music uh, <laughs> but you know no, i get it like, i get uh, it uh, like yeah like uh i you know just like, like i mean they're I guess, good yeah, I see, like, but maybe, I, I can see in its time. I mean, there was a movie like a while ago called like Yesterday that uh, yeah, was the premise that. was like some dude travels to like another reality where the Beatles never existed and like all other music is the same somehow. Like, you know, like so the Beatles influence, it's like on one hand, the Beatles influence is like totally negligible and like all music yeah. uh, shook out the same way no matter what. But for some reason, the Beatles songs are still considered to be like these groundbreaking, like Jesus yeah. works. Like, you yeah, because he starts like, ripping them. He, like, start, he starts ripping them off, and it like blows everybody's minds. And yeah, it's exactly. like it's like, completely like, in, yeah. like incoherent idea. Um, yeah, it makes no yeah. sense because it assumes that the Beatles' Im- actual influence is nil because everything is actually unchanged without the like Beatles existing. And yet, like you know, even the current musical climate, like these songs, like it's absurd. Like, but that I guess maybe attest to like the bizarre idolatry of the Beatles uh that I truly do not really quite grasp uh yeah but yeah yeah we could do a Beatles deep dive down the line I mean that'd be funny uh and I find that amusing to make fun of um anyway yeah yeah uh yeah yeah. no they're they're just not as interesting to me as uh either the Eagles or the Beach Boys their contemporaries um I will say you know I guess like people 
will now say that this is like a contrarian take or something like you know but i definitely prefer the beach boys to the beatles yeah yeah i i was standing the beach boys like like 15 years ago before i mean it's always been cool among a certain like set of of people like yeah i mean pet sounds is a great album yeah Yeah. i I don't know there might be some sus beach boy stuff too though oh i mean there's tons uh, of stuff well once you get to chaos like dennis wilson is fucking hanging out with uh you know with with charlie and no there's so much like brian Wilson went insane on LSD. Like, like there's right, a lot yes. of really twisted shit that happened. Um, yes. and they're, they're more, but they're more emblematic in a way of like the, the tragedy of like the American rock band getting like torn to pieces by like the chaos of the sixties and literally probably yes. by operation chaos. Like they, yes. it just like, yeah. Um, even though like Mike love just performed at Mar-a-Lago for like Trump's uh, new year's Eve party. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny yeah, like this singing kokomo um yeah okay yeah, um yeah. so yeah. last but not least uh uh what's our take on famous clones um i remember talking about this before even the podcast like uh was a thing as well like discussing the the mind control black assassins take about like the was it a mind control black assassins thing or was it someone uh, else i think it was like that- i remember bob the rapper was uh no it was um was it it's actually the tweet i it sent you because it was much more it would have been a bigger thing if it were bob it was some dude who would talk about how every night oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no so like this is where this is yeah yeah this, would be yeah 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 something you know yeah this yeah, is a weird thing Yes, this is a weird uh, synchronicity because I um I when I sent you that Greta Thunberg tweet or the the screen cap of it, it was from the guy who says that Donald Marshall. He's uh, the the okay. cloning center guy, and he like tweeted something like sarcastic about like oh look you guys she like got away from her handlers, but like he basically claims that there's some kind of um uh cloning center somewhere but that they're like they basically have bodies that you know um i guess they can put an implant in your brain this is his story and at night your consciousness gets when you go into rem sleep somehow your brain consciousness can be remotely like plugged into a remote like clone body that's in one of these like cloning centers and then they have a big arena where all of the most powerful people in the world like you know queen elizabeth the clintons uh i think putin's there and they basically like watch like gladiatorial like uh combat and you know have eyes wide shut orgies and uh do all the horrible shit that you would expect them to do um and you know uh most of the people that are like you know uh, REM enslaved by this, like have to die horrible deaths over and over again. But then like they wake up in the morning, so they're not actually dead. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, no. So you just, you, it's like every time you go to sleep, it's kind of like, you know, nightmare on Elm street a little bit. It's like you're back in Freddy's, you know, boiler room, except it's like all these elites and like at a Coliseum, like, uh, baying for your blood to get like, you know, ripped apart by a tiger or something. And then, you know, you, uh, I guess you wake up, uh, you know, when you die and then they just like upload you into another body the next day and they, uh, they're uploaded into their own avatars so they can come and they do secret diplomacy and economic deals. And like, that's one reason why you can't really catch these people, you know, doing all the horrible shit they do, um, is because they're, you know, 
They're using they REM transfer technology. Clones. Right, yeah. They all yeah. activate as REM-driven clones of themselves. And the one yes. guy who tried to stand up to them was Bernie Mac. And that's why... No. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Bernie Mac tried to stand yeah. up to them, and, and he was killed. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so, mm, intriguing. Um, definitely uh, a yes. compelling... It yeah, always painted Apple, a picture. George Lucas, these are oh, all... Yeah. Um, uh, 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 different people attend the cloning center as REM-driven clone versions of themselves for different reasons. Sometimes directors, as well as the cast for their movies, like to role-play movie scenarios as REM-driven clone versions of themselves, or to practice their lines from movies as REM-driven clone versions of themselves at the cloning center. During the filming for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, as an REM-driven clone version of himself, George Lucas made other Illuminati REM-driven clones light me on fire while I was unwillingly activated as an REM-driven clone version of myself at the cloning center. As an REM-driven clone of himself, George Lucas said he wanted Hayden Christensen, also an REM-driven clone version of the cloning center, to scream realistically. Uh, so Hayden Christensen did like a wow. character study of Donald Marshall being lit on fire so that he could scream realistically in the movie. Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake, Kanye. Well, I guess he is an op because he has an REM-driven clone. Um, That's... Um... Uh, although I guess uh, he did want to... Uh, save himself from being an REM driven clone, um, and uh, he uh, he wanted the world to know that he is leaving the Illuminati's REM driven cloning subculture, and he wants Donnie left alone. Um, he will not be torturing Donald Marshall for songs anymore, because uh, Donald Marshall generated yeah. songs through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he so, he wrote yeah. like a lot of like famous songs. Uh, he claims. Um. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth too is obviously the one behind it, but I guess it doesn't involve toys, per se, um, right? Like not directly. Well, no, actually, it does. It involves Vril, who are basically reptoids. Oh, Vril. Um, okay. But that's you know maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, yeah. Maybe uh, there might be a reptoid episode coming soon. We'll get back to. Uh, maybe. Uh, I think it's an intriguing uh, you know tapestry weaved by Donald Marshall. Um, uh, can't say that it, um, that you know it it, it all uh, checks out or is verifiable, but at the same time, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, well, yeah. That's whether one, is everybody uh, a clone? Yeah, I tend to on famous clones. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know about the thing that, that everybody's like a clone. Like I, I don't, I don't quite believe that. It would be quite terrifying if true. Um, but um, I'm not but, quite buying yeah. that. Like, you know, Avril Lavigne, all these other people. Uh, oh, the Avril, Avril Lavigne is supposed to be a clone. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a huge, that was a huge one. I, uh, she, the, di- she died in 2003. I have the same questions about this as I have about, like, Hillary's clone and the QAnon story. Yes, Like, why exactly. is she permitted to have a clone? Like, if she's been yeah. executed, like, why is she allowed to have a clone? Like, you know... It's like, tough. I don't get it's it. tough. Like, what's um, the point of the clones? Like, you know. No, I get it. Uh, it's it's uh, it's tough. So I think I, I don't know. I, I'd have to leave it at a. I'm curious I, to know the rationale. Yeah, I'd have to leave it at a, a, a big question mark on the issue of uh, cloning for now. But I tend to think that people are like usually themselves, and then they die. So, I'm sure um, there's some interest in it. I I, th- I feel like that guy yes. who you like retweeted recently, who was saying like. 
we, sh- we, like, you know, who was we for one? But he was saying, like, you know, uh, we should create a ritual where, like, oh, you know, yeah. when you hit yeah. 75 or whatever, like, we all just euthanize you and you have a big funeral that you can attend. Like, you know, doesn't that sound great Psycho or shit. One, Psycho one of those shit. things that's like, okay, yeah, good luck starting that tradition. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, uh. But like well, somebody um, said, that, yeah, this is literally yeah, midsummer. Like, uh, uh, but he also he, seemed like he was super into like cryonics or whatever. I'm sure there. Yeah. I mean, didn't didn't Epstein like want you know a million clones yeah. of himself? He wanted something? to freeze himself so, and and like you know yeah. propagate his sperm forever and create like clones of himself. Yeah, no, they are. They're definitely into that. They're looking into it. They they are definitely yeah, looking into it. And it. They would love to have an REM driven clone, even if they don't already. Of course, uh, of know. course, it goes without saying. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, um, we'll we'll uh, you know we'll we'll probably we'll we'll come across the clone issue again one day. Um, uh, but that's yes. I guess what we think. Um, I guess uh, I think um, maybe we should wrap up there. Um, I think my dog has to pee. Um, so might have to uh, yeah, you right. know, wrap this up. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we got it all. Got it all in there. Yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then some. Word. So uh, yes. just like big ups, big ups to the grotto again for providing yes. some some good mm-hmm. spicy questions. And um, thank you, as always, for your uh, attention, your engagement, uh, and for listening, etc. Um, you know, we uh, hope to have some uh, good stuff for you in this new year of twenty twenty one. Um. Yep. Uh, yeah, possibly touching on a lot of these topics, maybe even the Olmecs. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah. perhaps some some guests in the near future. Yes, I something think that we definitely, yeah. Uh, discuss. We'll yeah. uh, keep everybody posted on that. But Yes, you'll know uh, when it happens, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, uh, we've made some overtures, so hopefully, uh, yeah. Uh, if not uh, in January, you know, inshallah, in February it will be happening. Um, Indeed. But yeah. Um, Indeed. So but, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, well, that's that's out. all for now. Until uh, until the next Q and A. Um, yes. And watch out for gin. Um, yeah, watch out for REM driven clones. Watch Don't. out for yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> giants, Olmec, etc. The SSNP. Yeah, right. Yeah. Most dangerous game. Yeah, etc. And yeah. Stay cool.